The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 215 for Thursday, February 13th, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. You can also use our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. All right, so I wanted to get some housekeeping out of the way and just a quick walkthrough for those that are just tuning in since we got a lot of people uh, downloading the show that are brand new to the show this week. A couple of things. Uh, you can listen to the live feed on Blog Talk Radio, but you can also watch the live feed on mtrlive.com and gfqlive.tv. Last but not least, of course, you can use our call-in number, not hit option one, and you can listen to the show that way as well. You can also use our Mixler feed, I believe, on certain mobile devices from what I've been told. I know uh, last week somebody said they were able to listen to the Mixler feed on their iPhone. And uh, one other person said that they actually managed to stream it through the Chrome browser on their Android devices. Of course, we're still working that out. But if you're using either one of those to listen to the show, that's a good way to listen to live episodes as well. Of course, reruns of the show are on GFQ, and last but not least, uh, video episodes will be released on our YouTube channel, which is My Take Radio TV on YouTube. All right, so a couple of things we got to get out of the way, of course. For those of you that are living in the South or on the East Coast, you are all dealing with snow, including us here in New York City. Uh, today was uh, an interesting day just because we have about, I think there's about nine inches of snow outside of my house as of this morning, it's raining. It's supposed to snow again, which sucks. Um, we did get a snow day. Uh, my, my real job gave me a snow day. Uh, my wife had a snow day as well and um, got a lot of stuff done. We got a big show on tap for tonight. We got a lot of things to discuss. As always, we will take your calls. Uh, but before we get into that, I did want to get into uh, some things that we touched on last week, which was uh, some new writers we got on board. Uh, Larry Mack from VGN. And we also got the rightist, uh, Julian, who is a friend and colleague of Quark and Blade. So he will be joining us as well. But as always, we're always looking for great writing talent for My Take Radio, especially um, 
for our comic side of things. And also we want to try and get more into the collectible side of things. Speaking of uh, this weekend, we will be covering Toy Fair 2014 at the Javits uh, starting the 16th through the 19th. Um, my schedule permitting should allow me to cover the 16th and the 17th and either part or all of the 18th and 19th. So we're going to be doing that uh, starting Sunday. So definitely be on the lookout for uh, pictures and video from Toy Fair, which we're going to be putting on the Facebook fan page and also on our Tumblr blog. For those of you that are Tumblr users, you can follow us on Tumblr. It's mtrextras at tumblr.com. And that URL is also um, on the site. You guys can check. I mean, the URL for that is on the site and you guys can use that. I know a lot more of you guys have been using Pinterest. So we put a lot of stuff on Pinterest as well. Just trying to keep our social profile active. And of course, on Instagram, um, it's a mix of my personal stuff, but also a lot of show stuff as well. And that's my take radio underscore rich. So uh, let's get into a little bit. I wanted to talk about. uh, I did want to talk about Assassin's Creed four, which I finished. I was uh, it. Dare I say it? Not. I wasn't happy with the way it ended Um, for all the style and substance that game had. I felt it ended a little flat. And that's something I definitely want to get into into the gaming segment. Slick just notified me that our review of RoboCop is live. So make sure to check out Slick's review of RoboCop on MyTakeRadio.com. If you want to check out the film, definitely give his his uh, review a, a read before you head out into the theaters, which I'm sure a lot of you guys will be doing this weekend, considering how shitty the weather has been. Anyway, MMA is a little light this week. There's a couple of things I want to get into, so... Let's not drag out the intro of the show any further, and let's get into some MMA, shall we? So, of course, this weekend we got the big UFC event on Fox. We got Gegard Mousasi taking on Lyoto Machida, which looks like a pretty solid card. I haven't been following it concrete as I should, and I just realized I haven't even hit the recorder for this week's show, so let me actually get that taken care of. Anyway, as I was saying, uh, Gegard Mousasi will be uh, locking up with Lyoto Machida this weekend, and I'm actually pretty pumped for it. I haven't been following the card too closely, primarily because... It's just been kind of a hectic week off air, but uh, as usual, you can't really pass up on any free MMA, and as usual, uh, Lyoto Machida usually delivers a solid performance, and Gegard Mousasi is a guy not to be taken lightly, so definitely, if you want to check that out, uh, full details will be on the site. As a matter of fact, the weigh-ins are tomorrow afternoon, so be on the lookout for a post on the site with the weigh-ins, as well as the card this Saturday. All right, so... Last week, we talked about Thiago Silva getting arrested. Uh, He had a bit of a run-in with the cops, and by run-in, I mean that he had a SWAT team pretty much come to his house because of an incident with his wife and a teacher and uh, one of the guys at the Pablo Popovich uh, Mixed Martial Arts Academy. Actually, the guy himself, Pablo Popovich. Anyway, what ends up happening is uh, this guy and his wife are separated, uh, he shows up, pulls a gun at the school, leaves, go, locks himself in his house. The cops show up and um, all hell breaks, all hell breaks loose. 
So, you know, it's it's one of those things where it just was a situation that escalated. It started off just as a domestic dispute. Uh, some gunplay was involved. And like I said, SWAT team uh, came to the scene, at which point, you know, they pretty much uh, took Thiago Silva into custody without any shots being fired. Of course, he's being held without bond right now uh, due to being deemed a flight risk. Due to this incident, uh, the UFC, of course, terminated his contract effective immediately. Um, it's unfortunate, you know, Dana White told TMZ that this guy will never fight in the UFC again. But this is one of those situations where you have a guy who has such a promising career and, um, you know, he ends up just not being. Just a lot of personal shit gets in the way of of this guy have, having a great career. He's had a lot of great fights, a lot of great marquee moments. And for every good marquee moment he has in the cage, he always has another incident, um, another personal incident that ends up fucking him up. So, you know, I find it highly unfortunate and hopefully, you know, he can get past these legal troubles and hopefully get himself together. But uh, that's the latest update regarding Tiago Silva. Um, of course, if we get more about this, we'll make sure to share it with you guys. So the 2013 World MMA Awards are officially in the books. Um, a lot of a lot of the awards were pretty straightforward in regards to who was winning and I want to go through some of the nominees and some of the winners. I'm sure some of you will have, um, you know, your your own issues with who won what. Uh, the Charles Mask Lewis Fighter of the Year honor went to Chris Weidman. Um, he was competing against Vitor Belfort, Uriah Faber, Demetrius Johnson, and Cain Velasquez. Um, for Female Fighter of the Year, we should not be shocked that Ronda Rousey took Female Fighter of the Year honor. She was competing against Joanne Calderwood, Alexis Davis, Jessica I and Holly Holm on the breakthrough fighter of the year. Travis Brown came through and I'm not shocked in the least. He's had a, a great career thus far. He's been faring very, very well. Um, he competed against TJ Grant, Conor McGregor, who I was shocked didn't take this nod considering how high the sport is on him. Nick Newell and uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov rounded out the nominees for breakthrough fighter of the year. On the International Fighter of the Year side of things, Alexander Gustafson took that honor, uh, competing against Shinya Aoki, uh, Conor McGregor again, uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, and Alexander Shlomenko. Now, Fight of the Year is a is a category that's going to yield a lot of a lot of different input. And before I get into who won it, here here's the, where the nominees for Fight of the Year: Vanderlei and Brian Stand from UFC on Fuel TV eight, which was amazing. Uh, Michael Chandler versus Eddie Alvarez, two from Bellator 106. Gilbert Melendez and Diego Sanchez from UFC 166, which was awesome. Uh, Mark Hunt versus Antonio Bigfoot Silva, which even though Antonio Silva got popped uh, for, you know, testosterone, you know, it, it was still an amazing fight. And of course, John Jones and Alexander Gustafson. Now, considering the fights that I've just read off to you guys, you would think that maybe. They could have gone with Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez, but it, as a shock to no one whatsoever, uh, John Jones and Alexander Gustafson took fight of the year honors for their performance at UFC 165. Not that that wasn't a shitty fight by any means. On the contrary, um, it's a fight that definitely deserves that honor. But it also feels when you look at the MMA awards that it's a lot of a lot of stuff gets thrown in the UFC's favor. Uh, you know, not to say that any of these fights weren't good, but that Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez fight definitely was very, very awesome. I don't I don't understand why people um, really didn't don't give it as much credit as it's due, but 
it's something to take into consideration. Um, I see one of our viewers in the chat is asking if there's something wrong with the Mixler feed. If you are getting an echo, mute the GFQ feed or mute the Mixler feed, one or the other, if you are getting an echo. Otherwise, uh, definitely refresh. Usually that fixes everything. Uh, going back to the MMA Awards for Knockout of the Year, again, before I tell you guys the winners, check out who were the fights that were considered. Vitor Belfort, Luke Rockhold, UFC on FX8, Junior Dos Santos versus Mark Hunt, UFC 160, Emmanuel Newton taking on King Mo at Bellator 90, Julio Cesar Nieves Jr. taking on Denner Dos Santos, and Chris Weidman, of course, knocking out Anderson Silva at UFC 162. Now think about this. Chris Weidman knocking out Anderson Silva was on the same one as JDS and Vitor and Luke Rockhold. So it's easy to think, oh, Weidman's going to get the nod, but it definitely was an upset as his next opponent actually took the nod. Vitor Belfort taking on Luke Rockhold secured the knockout of the year honors. Also, on submission of the year side of things, Uriah Faber took that with his submission of Ivan Menjavar at UFC 157. Uh, comeback of the year honors went to Travis Brown once again. And, um, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. I did want to talk about a uh, very interesting category, of course, uh, ring card girl of the year. Now, you're asking yourself, who gives a shit? Chick walks around, holds up the card, round four, anybody could do it. My cat if I put a sign on his head, could walk around the octagon with it. But again, it's a, it's a little bit of a titillation, a little bit of a flesh candy for fellow MMA fans. So I'm not going to shit on it too much. But again, does it merit an award? Eh, not so much. Anyway, your nominees were Jade Bryce, Ariane Celeste, Kat Kelly, Brittany Palmer, and uh, Mercedes Terrell. So those were your nominees for Ring Card Girl of the Year. Shockingly enough, they did not give it to Ariane Celeste once again. On the contrary, they ended up giving me to um they ended up giving the nomination to Brittany Palmer. Not that that's a bad thing, but once again kind of keeping it in the UFC. Um it is what it is. I mean, like I said, all all, all the nominees are are all Attractive ladies, everybody has their own preference. Um, some people are going to say, oh, you know, the, the, I'm more Mercedes Terrell type of a person, whatever the case is. But once again, it stays in the UFC as Brittany Palmer takes ring card girl of the year. Now, leading man of the year ends up being a, um, it ends up being one of those things where it's, it's a given who's going to get it. Now, before I even tell you who the nominees are, if I tell you who is the leading man of the year for mixed martial arts, chat, I pose this to you. Um, who would you choose as your as the leading man of the year for MMA? Now, it's very easy to say uh, the usual suspects, you know, but I'm curious to see. Val says Chael, Chael leading man of the year. Okay, and it's funny you mentioned Chael because he's up for an, an award in the next category. But leading man of the year for MMA, all I get is Chael, huh? I guess I guess the the chat is not sure. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys the nominees. I expected some some feedback from you guys with that. Uh, your nominees were Victor Cui, Lorenzo Fertitta, Bjorn Rebney, Ray Sefo, and Dana White. Just by me reading those nominees. 
Who is your leading man of the year for mixed martial arts? <laughs> Jay, Jay says Tom Hardy and Warrior. Christ. No, but not a shocker, Dana White, because why, why not? It's always Dana White. It will always be Dana White. I think Dana White is one leading man of the year for the last, I think, four years that the MMA Awards has been going on. Make of it what you will, but it, it always feels like a, like a glorified stroke job when when Dana White wins these awards because it's like, oh, Dana, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and don't, don't get me wrong. His contributions to the sport are huge, but you got to look at, at guys like Bjorn Rebney, Victor Cui. Um, these guys are all trying to do things. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where these other guys are doing are doing things as well that are up there close to what Dana White has done, but it should not come as a surprise. Now, going back to what Val said about Chael Sonnen, personality of the year, your nominees were Bruce Buffer, Kenny Florian, Joe Rogan, Boss Rutan, and Chael Sonnen. So Val, Val pretty much is a mind reader because Chael, of course, took the personality of the year honors. Now, of course, that's not to take anything away from guys like Joe Rogan and Boss. On the contrary, I like Boss. Uh, Boss is is awesome on Inside MMA. I think Boss is a great color commentator. I don't understand wh- why he hasn't been given more opportunities in the UFC. Um, I, I think he's a guy that can add a lot to the sport from a knowledge standpoint, and he's just always an entertaining guy to watch. Of course, best promotion, let's not even kid ourselves, the winner was the UFC. They were competing against Bellator, Cage Warriors, 1FC, and World Series of Fighting. Again, not a shock in the least. You know, you're, you're looking at it like, oh, what's the best promotion? Do you really think that they're going to turn around and say, oh, it was Bellator this year? Not so much. Um, last bit of news I wanted to talk about. They actually gave out awards for clothing, lifestyle clothing, technical clothing, and technical equipment. Now, of course, lifestyle clothing has changed quite much it, it's pretty much changed in such a way that lifestyle clothing has gone beyond the typical skulls and and douchey shirts that you've seen and there's actually legit companies putting out great clothes um i was shocked that the one company that i did like didn't win the nominee the the best clo- lifestyle clothing honors uh the nominees were bad boy fear the fighter head rush roots of fight and torque now I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of Roots of Fight because they, they, they not only pull out really classy gear, but they also acknowledge a lot of the old school fighting. Um, Mike Tyson, uh, Muhammad Ali, they, they do, you know, uh, Helio Gracie. They put out a lot of great shirts with those guys. But uh, Bad Boy ended up taking the honors. Not, not a bad uh, lifestyle clothing brand for MMA fans, but I, I really feel Roots of Fight really encompasses what... Uh, mixed martial arts lifestyle clothing is about. Of course, it's easy to say, oh, well, everybody wears tap out or everybody wears affliction. I think um, that ship has long since sailed with regards to, uh, you know, lifestyle clothing, but there's still some guys that wear it. Don't get me wrong. I still, I I got a couple of affliction shirts that aren't super douche-tacular. And, you know, I got a couple of extreme couture shirts as well. I'm not walking around wearing them 24-7, but, you know, they're, they still get a little rotation. Anyway, let's get into some fight news. Uh, Sarah Kaufman will be facing Shayna Baszler at uh, UFC Fox Sports 1's prelims for uh, the upcoming UFC Ultimate Fighter finale, uh, Canada versus Australia, which has a very solid card. Bisping, Tim Kennedy is your main event. The coaches, Patrick Cote and Kyle Noak, 
will meet in the co-main. And of course, your middleweight and welterweight tournament final winners will also meet to crown a brand new international ultimate fighter. KJ Nunes and Sam Stout are also on that card, as is Mark Bocek and Kevin uh, and Evan Dunham. Excuse me. Uh, I haven't been watching Tough Nations. Like I said, I started watching it and just too many things conflicting on the DVR. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about with regards to that is the um, the incident the incident with uh, Tyler Manura or Manura, whatever that guy's name is. I always fuck up that guy's name. Um, sharing uh, racially charged photos on Instagram and pretty much getting called out for it. And it snowballed from there to the point where Dana White said that even if he wins the competition, he would not get a UFC contract due to that. Um, take it for what it's worth, but this is something that I'm not surprised about. You have to understand the UFC continues to evolve itself into a mainstream sport sports organization on par with NFL, MLB, and the NBA. So in that, in that instance, you really got to police your athletes. And this guy, whether it was an old post or not, it was still public record and you should you should have known if you're going into the ultimate fighter you should have deleted that and made sure that that things like that aren't out there it's like anything else it, even even with the UFC this is all a job if you go out there and you have suspect commentary or suspect things on your on your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram or whatever you got to get ready to accept the fact that people are going to look for this stuff and if it's something that's overly offensive they definitely will hold you to task or make your shit private so again instagram bit one of the ultimate fighter contestants in the ass to the point where there will be no contract for him even if he wins the season yancy Maderos, who took the uh, ufc fight of you know who fought last at ufc fight for the troops is in some big trouble after failing his post-fight drug test in November, uh, the Kentucky Boxing and Wrestling Authority have changed uh, Madero's first-round knockout win over Eve Edwards to a no contest. Madero's tested positive for marijuana metabolites and was suspended 90 days retroactive to the day of his November 6th bout. Once again, the weed fucking shit up, man. You gotta, you gotta take, you gotta take that down a few notches if you're gonna be fighting, especially because all these guys are gonna, are gonna, are you know. Or, all these different governing bodies are going to be catching. They're going to be catching flack more and more as weed starts becoming uh, legalized in more states. But until that's something that's a blanket statement, um, you know, don't don't put yourself out there and jeopardize either your livelihood as a fighter, any fight of the night bonuses you may have earned, or any you know any accolades you may have earned just just to toke a blunt. I mean, you could just as easily, you know do that, do that during your layoff and, and clean up before you fight. But some of these guys, they can't, they can't put the bowl down and it's biting them in the ass. One thing I did want to talk about, speaking of bonuses, uh, Yancy Maderos did not lose his bonus, but one thing that is going to be changing going forward is the bonus structure for fight night cards. Originally, there used to be three bonuses. You had your knockout of the night, submission of the night and fight of the night honors. That is no longer going to be the case. The UFC will no longer award bonuses for submission of the night and knockout of the night. Instead, they're going to give a fight of the night bonus. They're going to do perform and performance of the night bonus and also two best individual performances on the card. So that's how they're going to do it. In other words, you have your fight of the night, 
and whichever performance of the night gets, you know, gets nominated or get whichever fighter has the best performance will be getting a bonus. These bonuses are going to be $50,000 um, and they're going to remain $50,000 going forward. So again, no more submission of the night and knockout of the night. You're going to get fight of the night and performance of the night bonuses totaling 50 grand. So just one, one thing to keep in mind if you are always looking out for fighter bonuses. In my case, it's always weird when they give the bonuses out because I personally, I always feel certain bonuses are given out. And, um, you know, it's, it's crazy just because sometimes I see a certain fighter that has a really great submission finish and he ends up losing out on that particular bonus because, you know, somebody else that was of a higher tier ended up securing a submission bonus, a uh, submission and ended up taking the bonus away. So I, I like where they're going with performance of the night bonuses. We'll see how it pans out and whether the UFC will get any flack from the fighters for it going forward. We got some injury news to report for UFC 170, which is happening February 22nd. Uh, the co-main event for that fight was Rashad Evans and Daniel Cormier squaring off in the co-main. Turns out that Rashad Evans was injured. Uh, he sustained an injury earlier this week, I believe, and he has to bow out of the fight. Originally, it looked like Daniel Cormier was not going to be taking um, a new fight and he was just going to be pulled from the card. But given that that co-main had such huge implications and I'm sure was going to affect pay-per-view, turns out that they are actually uh, going to give him a new fighter. Get this on a week's notice, which is crazy. What they're, What's going to happen is um, uh, res collegiate wrestling standout and undefeated fighter Patrick Cummins will be coming in on just week's notice to take on Daniel Cormier after Chael Sonnen did not get the nod after uh, calling out Cormier and trying to get a fight. Um, I definitely got to applaud Chael as usual for doing what he's got to do, trying to get in there and, and get that money. But um, again, you're taking this fight on week's notice. Uh, Patrick Cummins, if you're thinking this is going to be a cakewalk for Daniel Cormier, not the case. Um, you know, he's a collegiate wrestling standout. He's undefeated thus far. Anybody that thinks that this guy is a can, don't. Just because... Anything can happen, and the guy's coming in on week's notice, and it's not going to give Cormier time to adapt his strategy. The most he's probably going to be able to do is watch some tape. We'll see what happens. But definitely uh, a big change for an event that's really close. Like I said, February 22nd, UFC 170. Um, another fight change is UFC 173, which originally was going to have Vitor and um, Chris Weidman and also on the co-main, Chael and Vanderlei, but they're actually moving that fight back by a week. So it's going to headline the May 31st show that's going to be taking place in Brazil. So there you have it. UFC 173 has no co-main as Chael and Vanderlei will now meet on a card going down May 31st. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last bit of MMA news I wanted to touch on is something that I saw on Bleacher Report and it was very interesting um, that is that they are looking to change uh, the way fight sponsorships are done because the UFC is looking to set up their own uniform for their fighters. Um, what they're saying is that over the past month, the UFC has been working on a deal uh, to create what's basically a UFC uniform. It's going to be full UFC um, merchandise from head to toe, including fight shorts, walkout shirts and hats. And what's going to happen is that the shirts and, and the uh, uh the fight shorts are going to have specific spaces for fighters and managers to sell for their own sponsorships. 
But outside of those spots, the the uniforms are going to consist of mainly UFC branded apparel. Now, I think this is actually a good way to do it because a lot of these guys, either they can't get sponsors or they just have bad luck with sponsors. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys get burned not being paid by sponsors. I think this is a great way to do it. Kind of just a, a unified front for all the fighters. They all come out wearing the same gear and they'll just have places where sponsors can buy ad space. It's no different than NASCAR. It's, you know, it's no different than than other sports where they sell sponsorships. But the way it's going to work now, it's going to allow all the fighters to look the same, wear the same gear, and just have the sponsors pay for their placement on their gear. I think it's a smart move. I mean, if you look at MLB, uh, the NFL, the NBA, even NASCAR, you see that there's that there's some sort of a of a straight, you know, there's a there's a uniform across the board where even the drivers, even the NASCAR drivers that have sponsors have them on their uniforms, but the uniforms look pretty much the same across the board. Now, obviously with the NBA major league baseball and the NFL, you're not putting sponsorship on your uniforms because obviously that's for the team, but it's, it's definitely a good idea on the UFC's part to give everybody just a, a clean slate where everybody wears uh, the same gear. I think it's a step in the right direction. It continues to uh, make the UFC a legitimate entity and make it more recognized in all sports circles. Um, just to answer Val's question in the in the chat, he said, uh, Chael in Brazil, are they giving him armed guards? Funny thing is, Chael is actually coaching the Ultimate Fighter in Brazil against Vanderlei, and there have already been a lot of different instances where there's been uh, fistfights, violence of, of varying degrees, but Chael is doing all right over there. I think Chael, Chael is always going to be a persona. He's going to be larger than life, and he's a big part of selling what the organization does. So to a degree, you got to figure out where Chael the character shuts off and where Chael the, 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 the regular guy begins. And I'm sure that when the cameras aren't rolling, Chael is pretty pretty by the book. I will say, though, that him and Vanderlei legitimately hate each other, so that beef is 100% real, and in that instance, you know, all bets are off. Um, Val says, Chael apologized for calling the whole country twats. I wouldn't say he apologized, but I definitely feel that Chael knows how to, you know, how to game the system. He's, He's going out there. It's no different than Muhammad Ali when we were growing up. You know, these guys, they know how to sell fights. And I think that's a lost art that a lot of people don't give credit to. And that's the fact that you really want to sell fights uh, the right way. And that's it doesn't always have to be hatred. It can always be just a little animosity, uh, the right amount of shit talking. It's a good way to sell fights. Chael is is he's a master at it. He's talked his way into title fights and people they're like, oh, well, Chael didn't deserve that title fight. He didn't. But no, nobody was exactly chomping at the bit. To, to take these fights. So I, I definitely got to give credit where credit is due. And, you know, him trying to step up and fight Rashad, I mean, him trying to step up and fight Daniel Cormier with Rashad Evans being injured. Again, the guy, the guy comes out and he's, he's ready to fight. He talks shit. He tries to set it up. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't make of it what you will. Anyway, that actually is wrapping up the MMA news for this week. Uh, we got quite a bit of wrestling to discuss and let's get right to it. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! We're 
So let's open things up with Monday Night Raw, uh, playing the part of uh, <laughs> the late May Young this week was Betty White, who was there to promote her old people prank show. And don't get me wrong, it was all right. It wasn't. It wasn't terrible. It was. It was well played. Uh, not too much overdoing with Betty White, but just just enough to kind of get the plug out there and tie it into the show. You got You got to get used to this sort of stuff. So I'm not going to shit on it too much. I will talk about uh, the authority and Daniel Bryan and where this whole situation is going. I thought that the opening promo was was pretty solid. Uh, Randy Orton, I always feel like he's not at 100% when he's trying to cut a promo with the McMahons or with Stephanie and with Triple H, uh, just because he comes out there and he's like, well, you know, Stephanie, blah, blah, blah. It's just like he doesn't really, he doesn't have any passion when he's cutting his promos. I don't know if it's because the guy who's writing him is a fucking shill or what, but Randy Orton's not dialed in for those opening promos. I mean, don't get me wrong. One of the most annoying things when Raw starts is Triple H being on my screen within the first 10 minutes. But it's getting to a point where Randy Orton is is becoming the new generation's Triple H. He comes out, he cuts a, a bullshit paint-by-numbers promo, and it's just, it was it was bullshit. I just felt really, really let down by the way that went. Um, on the contrary, and, and it's funny, Quark says that I should uh, throw out that Homer Simpson uh, sound effect. I would, except the board is acting a little funky, but I'll definitely have it queued up. Thank you for that. Uh, the fact is that when Orton comes out, you're expecting a certain level of, of main event atmosphere around him. You expect him to come out there and he's going to be ready to to rock and roll, you know, he comes out as a main eventer and you expect a, a, an impassioned promo, a hardcore promo. Um, but that's not the case. On the contrary, he comes out uh, pretty paint by numbers, but they redeemed it, of course, because Daniel Bryan comes out. The crowd goes fucking insane. And that's one of the things where you start seeing that Daniel Bryan uh, pretty much this is this is how I want to how I want to put it. This is this is the regular roster. This is Daniel Bryan. He's practically out of the frame. The regular roster is not even running at a quarter of the momentum that Daniel Bryan is running. And the problem with the WWE is that they're not maximizing it the way they should. On the contrary, they're they're too busy trying to set up everything else that they forget that with Daniel Bryan, you don't even have to put in a lot of work. The guy already is 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 loved by the fans. He wrestles e- extremely well and he works with everybody very well. But instead, what we're saddled with is, you know, Randy Orton and the authority and and Daniel Bryan kind of being on the outside looking in. Now, of course, it's easy to say, well, the reasoning that it, the reason for that is because CM Punk isn't there to kind of balance the scales. And the problem with that is that Jim Ross said in his blog earlier this week that WWE's roster needs to fill in the void for, for, for any superstar that leaves, whether it's CM Punk taking a leave of absence, whether it's John Cena not on TV for two weeks with an eye injury, whether it's Christian being on the shelf, whatever the case is, every wrestler has a, they have a role to play. And it's the, it's the job of the other members of the roster to step in and try and get over 
they got to take the ball and run with it. And a lot of these guys, they just feel that they're entitled to be in that slot. Now, Quark says Orton feels uh, has he's become a lame duck champion at this point. You know his reign is ending so soon, but don't, but they don't know when. The audience hates him, and when the WWE does not want him as the actual face of the WWE, he can't even get in a fucking WWE-made film. It's funny you bring that up, and I want to talk about that, Quark, so definitely uh, kudos to you for bringing that up. It's true. Randy Orton is pretty much a placeholder, but what I don't understand is that even if he is a placeholder champion... He should be, he should have a better presence. I think that Randy Orton's become a guy, and you guys may disagree, Randy Orton's become a guy that you want to have him in the main event picture, but you don't want him to be champion. Like, think about it. You know, Randy Orton should be a, uh, always in the main event, always in the main event, but he should not be champion because it's funny in the interview that, you know, in the opening promo, he's like, oh, I want to be the guy on Michael and Kelly. I want to be the guy doing all the media appearances. I want to be the guy this. I want to be the guy that. You know why that doesn't work? Because you're fucking boring. Randy Orton is boring. Imagine waking up at 10 in the morning and, you know, you're bored, you're home, and you turn on the TV and you're watching, you know, Kelly Ripa and Michael Strahan one morning. And they're like, oh, our next guest is Randy Orton. And he comes out and he's like, well, you know, uh, yeah, you know, the road life, it's not that great, but he's just a boring fucking guy. I've met Randy Orton in person, you know, but, and, and he, and he's a nice guy. He's definitely a guy that's high on his gimmick, but, but he's a nice guy, you know, he's a, but, but he's not the guy you want to put out there. You know who you got to put out there? Daniel Bryan. I'll tell you why. Daniel Bryan, um, you know, good role model comes from a humble family, um, is, is proof that anybody can be a wrestler. But they just they're not using that. They're not using it in the least. Like when you when you look at a comparison between Daniel Bryan and John Cena, you got the guy that toiled on the independence and built himself up and built himself up. Then you have the guy who is created by the company, you know, and and it's just you see where the parallels are when Daniel Bryan is concerned. You know, Randy Orton needs to be. Val says, bring back the days of the legend killer. Even that to a degree, because even when he was the legend killer, you you eventually run out of legends to kill. I think he should just be the guy that's going out there and just being ruthless and fucking people up on the regular. People should be getting punted in the head at least once a week, whether on Raw or on SmackDown. It should just be a path of carnage as far as he's concerned. Unfortunately, to, to go back to what Quark said, it's true. He's a lame duck champion. He is a placeholder. I don't know if he's a placeholder for them to put the belt on Batista, which is a separate fucking disaster, but it's it's just not working. That's all I'm saying. So the Wyatt family took on Cody Rhodes, Goldust, and Rey Mysterio in what was uh, pretty much a, a paint-by-numbers affair uh, for the Wyatt family. Um, you know, the thing, the thing that I actually liked about the Wyatt family in this match is that you're starting to see more of Harper and Rowan uh, working the matches better, and they're really, really, they're really excelling. They're really cementing themselves as a great tag team to have in your tag team division. Uh, the match, like I said, was pretty academic, pretty paint by numbers. Um, but I will say this: their match with the Shield, mark mark my words, when the Wyatts and the Shield lock up at the Elimination Chamber pay per view, that match is going to steal the show. 
because you have six individuals who have pretty much the world put before them. And they're going to go out there and they're going to work their asses off. It's one thing about the shield that you've seen in interviews, especially off camera, when they're interviewed individually, these guys, their number one goal is to be the best, to be the faces of the company, whether as heels or as faces, they want to go out there and do the right thing. And they want to be the best. And the fact that that's a, um, a driving force for those guys, same thing with the Wyatt family is, is something that's just going to give us a great match. Now, it's funny because during the interview that The Shield had with Renee Young, uh, there was there was a tease of, you know, why isn't Dean Ambrose defending his belt? And I said to myself, Roman Reigns is going to come out and take the belt from Dean Ambrose. I was shocked they didn't do that, but it, it definitely would have been a cool surprise. Uh, Quark says Randy should beat up camera announcers before he head kicks people so the feed cuts out. That is a fantastic idea. That would be a great way to do it. Just as he's about to, he's like, no, 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 no. You don't need to see this carnage. And he just, he just knocks out the camera. That is an awesome way to do it. Of course, it's just a matter of shutting off the camera and letting him do the punt. And then you just return and have Michael Cole like, oh, we apologize for, for the, you know, the inconvenience folks. Uh, you know, Randy Orton took out our cameraman and he punted, you know, he punted one of the Bella twins in the head or whatever. Like that works definitely works I, I i like where quark was going with that and it's true because you kind of give him a bit of an edge and it kind of makes the audience think it's like when you play street fighter and akuma does a raging demon and the screen goes black you don't really know what he does but it looks fucking awesome that you got as 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 shitty as of an analogy as that is think about it camera goes black randy orton you just hear people screaming camera goes back on randy orton killed one of the bella twins or punted jerry lawler or whatever the case is, and that's it. That's 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 how you do it. That's that's the way it's got to be. You go you go that route, and it just works. It really works. And I think Quark really is onto something. Um, I'm curious. That would be actually a very good uh, rebooked column, rebooking Randy Orton. So um, homework assignment for those for those of you that write our wrestling content. Um, rebook Randy Orton's gimmick. And, and we'll see how it fares. But but I agree. I definitely think he needs that edge, but he doesn't need a belt. Randy Orton doesn't need a belt. Please, no more championships. Like, you want to give him the U.S. title, or maybe he holds the belt for a week or two, and then he loses it. But yeah, this long title reign, let's, let's not do that. Let's not. Santino and Emma took on Fandango and Summer Rae in in what was pretty much what ex, what you would expect, which is, you know, comedy match. Of course, it's, it, this is pretty much a vehicle to get Emma on TV and whatever. You want to get the Emma dance over. Go ahead. You know, you want to do that. Knock yourselves out. Um, hey, that that would work, Quark. That would definitely work. Um I, I, I like the Emma character. I think we need more divas. Her her wrestling is very good from what I've seen on NXT. I think she'll do well, but this is going to get old very quickly. If you're going to have him feuding with Fandango just so you can have the, the, the dancing, it's, it's not going to work. Byron Saxton got called up from NXT to the main roster, and he is now an interviewer. Lucky for him. Um... You know, he's, he, uh, he interviewed Sheamus. Sheamus cut himself a, a fairly decent promo. Um, we also get an interview from Christian. And I, I got to say this. 
you're looking at you look at Christian and you and you're just expecting him to get attacked before the chamber and to be replaced. You look at Christian and you're just like, yo, this guy's gonna get his ass whooped either the SmackDown before the chamber or the Monday before, and they're gonna put CM Punk in there or something. And I feel bad because Christian is a you know Christian's a, a a very very solid guy. The guy's approaching forty years old, and and I got to give credit where credit is due. He's he's done right by the company. He always goes out there and has solid matches. He always gives it one hundred and ten percent. His promo work is good. The peeps love him. The crowd loves him. Uh, why why aren't they giving him something? They're not rewarding him for his efforts. I mean, you could put him in a program with Dean Ambrose for the U.S. title. And it would it would work. It would kind of keep him busy. I just feel that Christian is he's always a placeholder when they talk about, oh, you know, former champions and they don't want to put over anybody. It's like, oh, we'll just use Christian. Val says it's because he went to TNA. You know, it's funny. You could say that it was because he went to TNA and you might be right. But the fact is that even if he went to TNA and came back, you know, Kurt Angle is is another guy that's in TNA now is rumored to be coming back to WWE. What are they going to do? Are they going to job out your your only Olympic gold medalist, the guy who who's, you know, a, a ring general when he has matches? It, you know, I, I got to agree with what Jay is saying. Christian will be retiring soon. It's true. I wouldn't even doubt it. I wouldn't doubt that when Christian's contract expires, he retires because the guy's made a ton of money and he's still fairly healthy. He hasn't had too many dangerous injuries that have really fucked up his career. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's really, really crazy. Uh, Val says, uh, rumor is he rejected the edge contract and pretty, pretty much said, fuck that shit when he left for TNA because he didn't want to be a bitch. You know, what's funny. You never know. That may be the case. I just feel that Christian, he's, he's such an underutilized talent. He's such a, you know, think about it. When have you ever seen Christian go out there and have a bad match? I'm curious. I'm I'm curious. I I, I want to know when when is it when have any of you guys ever seen Christian go out there and have a bad match? Because I'll be honest, I have yet to see that guy in a bad match. Him versus Sting and T. See, but you know what it is with him versus Sting and TNA. It's it's weird because I, it's interesting you bring up that match, Val. Because that match there was there was so much not working in that match, and I mean Sting is partially responsible for that because. Anybody that thinks that Sting is going to give you a four-star match on a regular basis, it's not happening. There was no chemistry there. There was no chemistry. Quark says, bad news, Barrett and Christian feud. Barrett retires Christian and delivers some bad news over his corpse and goes in the elimination chamber. That would be hilarious. I think, um, you know, Christian's getting ready for his match. Barrett attacks him, and he goes, I believe I have some bad news. You're not going into the chamber this week, you know, and I, that, that's a solid idea. Quark is, is working on all cylinders this evening. Uh, bad news. If, if you want to get Barrett back into the main event, that would be a good way to do it. But again, at the expense of Christian, I just I just don't want that. I don't want that. You know, it's funny. Jay mentions uh, the matches with Tyson Tomko. You know what the funny thing was? Tyson Tomko was so irrelevant that I completely forgot about him. Like, that's how irrelevant Tyson Tomko was to me during his tenure in the WWE and TNA because all that guy had going for him was the look, 
and the really weird abs. That was it. He had all the tattoos and shit and the really weird abs. Other than that, there's nothing memorable about that guy to say the least. He's about as as relevant as Carlito's bodyguard Jesus. If you guys remember that one, when they allegedly stabbed John Cena in the nightclub, if you guys remember, Jesus would wear them high water lime green dress pants with suspenders and a wife beater. That guy was the fucking worst. When we talk about shitty henchmen, Tyson Tomko and Jesus definitely are up there with regards to shitty henchmen. Definitely those two guys. Sheamus and Christian took on the Real Americans. Uh, Sheamus and Christian, of course, get the victory in a very, very solid, solid match. Of course, we got to see the the Cesaro swing, which is what everybody wants to see. Uh, the inevitable breakup between the Real Americans is is imminent. Which, honestly, if, if it means Antonio Cesaro getting a move up to the upper card, fuck it, I'll take it. Just because, you know, don't get me wrong, him working with Swagger is good, but if it's a matter of Antonio Cesaro challenging for the belt or being in a shitty tag team with Jack Swagger, fuck it. Cesaro can get the bump and move up to the upper card. Simple as that. Dolph Ziggler took on Alberto Del Rio in a match that was pretty much a glorified jobber fest. Um, It's funny because a lot of people on Twitter were saying, you know, who did Dolph Ziggler piss off to get jobbed out the way he has? And it is true. It's one of those things that really, really frustrates me that that they're really, you know, just jobbing him out like that. It's 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 bullshit. I just realized I didn't mute my phone. Sorry about that, guys. Anyway. As I was saying, you know, Ziggler Ziggler's done so so he's put over so many guys with selling the selling the way he has. And you send him out there for a match with Alberto Del Rio. That is two minutes, two minutes. I kid you not. Rewatch that match. Uh, it's, it's the equivalent of a YouTube clip. It is two minutes. And then, of course, Del Rio applies the arm bar. Batista runs out, blah, blah, blah. He gives them the Batista bomb through the table. It, you know, typical Batista shit, you know, thumbs down. I'm going to fucking power bomb you. If, if, if jobbing out Ziggler was the, was the setup for Batista to attack Alberto Del Rio, it was stupid. You could have used a dozen other guys in that role. A dozen other guys. You could have used R-Truth. No disrespect, but you could have used R-Truth. You could have used Zack Ryder. You could have used Kurt Hawkins. You could have used Alex Riley. You Anybody else but Dolph Ziggler, because Dolph Ziggler, for as much of a non-main eventer as he is, people like him. He is a likable guy. And I, I say it every week when I do the show in the battle of wins and losses, uh, you know, Dolph Ziggler, every win counts. It keeps him in the spotlight. It keeps the crowd interested. You don't want Dolph Ziggler to be the guy that comes out and people go, ah, he's going to lose. You want to know why? Because they did that with Zack Ryder. Zack Ryder walks out. And when he walks out, you know, he's going to lose. <laughs> Del Rio joining the Real Americans would be interesting. It's funny. Quark goes, Del Rio joins the Real Americans. Cesaro Giant swings him after a month, and Del Rio quits the company, turning Cesaro face. It's crazy, but if you can have the Swiss, the the Swiss um Antonio Cesaro join what is in for all intents and purposes a racist group, 
Del Rio can join. At this point, why not? He can say that he makes his millions off the Americans. He could say that. Off the lazy, stupid Americans, he makes his millions. And he can join the, the real Americans. I, I wonder, though, Jack Swagger and Del Rio in a tag team, would that even work? What do you guys think? Let, let, let's, let's do a little armchair booking. Del Rio and Jack Swagger as the, the new real Americans. What do you guys think? Oh, Val says boring. Wow. No, no love for that. Not even with Zeb cutting, cutting the promos for Del Rio and, and Swagger. No. Wow. Tough crowd. <laughs> Val says, as long as neither talk, dude, it, it's gotta be, it's gotta be, you know, uh, Zeb Coulter, you know, holding up signs, you know, just walking out like this, just holding up signs like this, just walking around. Like that, like that's the kind of shit that like Zeb Coulter should be a new version of sign guy Dudley. Just holding like all those signs that he has when he comes out, that that shit is beautiful. And it works because every time you look at the sign, you're like, oh, my God, you know, you know nobody wants you and shit like that. Definitely no talking, no talking. Let Zeb do all the talking. But you know what? It, Quark, Quark is onto something, though. I would take Del Rio and put him with Swagger. I think maybe Del Rio needs a, a tag team run to work more effectively. That way, he's nobody has to look at him. You know what I mean? Like, nobody has to deal with him and his terrible fucking promos and his Mexican aristocrat gimmick. Just have him come out there with a little track jacket, with a little track jacket that says Al or Berto or some shit. Quark says the million-dollar Mexican Swagger is his Virgil. You know what the problem is? The whole affluent rich guy gimmick. It's such a it's such a, a a clowny way to do things. But you know, no, absolutely not. Jay goes, why don't we add the great Kali? Why don't you? Absolutely not. The great Kali, the great Kali is Mumra. He is he is Mumra with the bandages. That is how worthless he is. You ever you guys ever watch Thundercats? Mumra with the bandages comes out. He's just a a, a, a pussy in a red hood. And then as soon as he says his, his little chant and he turns into Mumra, shit gets real. The great Kali is Mumra with the red hoodie. He is worthless. He is fucking worthless. There's nothing, there's nothing redeeming about the great Kali. I'm sorry. There's not. There wasn't even anything redeeming about him when he first came in other than the, you know, the, the Punjabi prison match, which, you know, is always memorable. But other than that, shit. Anyway. Uh, Batista walks backstage. Uh, we get a, a brief uh, confrontation with Triple H, pretty much telling Batista, stop fucking people up. You know, things are different now than when you were here. Batista's like, yeah, Triple H, you're a big pussy. And that's that. Uh, the Bella Twins show the WWE Network as stewardesses, which is pretty much what they do um, any day that they're not on TV. But yeah, they show the WWE Network in such a way that pretty much if you're stupid, that tutorial works for you. It's like, take your TV, plug in your, your Roku box with your HDMI cable, download the WWE app. You're good. It doesn't, it, like, can you make instructions any stupider for anyone? It's like when Michael Cole walks you through downloading the WWE app. You go to your Android marketplace and you punch in WWE. It's like, yo, how, how much of a fucking buffoon are you if you don't know how to download an app, 
much less one for, from iTunes, which is separate. But but seriously, like like the instructions the Bellas gave to to download the WWE app and to set up for the WWE network was just it, it really was like, yo, everybody is a fucking moron. Everybody watching TV tonight is stupid. And we're going to tell you how stupid you are by having you learn how to set up any of this stuff. It's it's like. It's true, Val, like the millions forget. It, it, it was just so good. Like I watched it. I'm like, is this really happening? Plug in the HDMI cable into the back of your TV. Download the WWE app. Press play. Like, like what is happening? Jay says, if you can't download the app by now, you should stick your head in the oven and turn the knob to high. <laughs> that I can't, I can't even disagree. I can't. Anyway, we get our latest entrant into the WWE Hall of Fame, which is deserved to a degree, but I, I, I wanna I wanna kinda go into this a little bit. Of course, the ultimate warrior, Jake the Snake, are going in. Uh joining them will be the one and only Lita. Now the funny thing was in the Lita video package, they showed all those great moments, including the moment where she almost broke her neck in that match with Trish Stratus, which definitely was not the way to do things i'm like oh look they're showing all these awesome leader moments oh there's her almost breaking her neck nice work like it was just like whoever did the editing for that video package dropped the ball <coughs> excuse me dropped the ball immensely because i'm like holy shit she just busted her ass um the the now here's the the, the funny thing did Lita deserve to go in the hall of fame yes should she have gone in the same year that trish did Maybe. Now, the, the reasoning that I'm talking about this is because Ultimate Warrior, Jake the Snake, Lita goes in, yet not Rick Rude, not Randy Savage. You know what I mean? Not Sting, um, not even China. And, and it, the funny thing is that the China thing is, is, is sketchy. I'll agree. But China definitely should be in the Hall of Fame either uh, by herself or with the alleged nomination of Degeneration X. Because China, even, even if she has man parts downstairs, she, she still was one of the more mainstream uh, divas that they had. Think about it. China, China was on countless magazines. She was an intercontinental champion. She, you know, she had a pretty solid resume. Now, again, it's not... It, <laughs> Val says they're not man parts, just ugly lady bits to each his own. I don't know, man, because when Xbox, when Xbox, when they had the close up of Xbox downstairs, that that looked like man parts to me. But <laughs> take it, take it for what it's worth. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, Lita, Lita's nomination, while it is deserved, I feel that there was there, there's a, a list of at least five other superstars that could have got a Hall of Fame nomination. Uh, besides her, that's all I'm saying, you know, Rick Rude, Randy Savage, uh, you can just go down the list. <laughs> oh my God. Jay says, uh, it's a long extension of herself. Oh my God. <laughs> Quark, Cody Rhodes mustache. 
from 2013 will be in the Hall of Fame before Macho Man. You know what the thing is? The Macho Man nomination, and I'm going to say this once, when Vince McMahon finally decides to do it, Macho Man's nomination will be the centerpiece of the Hall of Fame. In other words, like the Ultimate Warrior, the Ultimate Warrior's nomination is the one everybody cares about because that's the one that's going to be the biggest based on what kind of a promo he cuts or whatever. So it's going to be huge. In the case of, of Macho Man, I think when Macho Man finally gets nominated, the people that are going to want to put him, induct Macho Man into the Hall of Fame is probably going to be a laundry list of guys because there were so many people that he worked with. You know, you can, you can go that route. You can go uh, Ricky Steamboat. You can go Hulk Hogan. You can, you can go down a laundry list of guys. So when it is the um, Macho Man's time to go in there, it's definitely going to be a big deal. Uh, again, I'm just troubled that it's taken so long. Just saying. So the Usos took on Ryback's in, a, in, a, in an incredible match. Pretty much uh, Axel and Ryback were playing the role of the job squad. Uh, of course, they put out a challenge to the Outlaws. The Usos are without a doubt one of the most improved tag teams in the division right now. Uh, Jimmy and Jay have come a long way. It's definitely working. Um, I really do feel that if if the, the Outlaws drop the belts to the Usos, it'll kind of validate the, the complete 180 that they've done. Um, again, well-deserved honors for the Usos. They're, they're a solid tag team and definitely a group of guys that you can build a division around. So, of course, the U.S. title was put on the line in an open challenge. I expected Roman Reigns to walk out, but of course, Mark Henry was coming back tonight, and since we hadn't seen him, hello, Mark Henry. Welcome back. Mark Henry came in, almost took the belt from Ambrose, and of course, the DQ got uh, was a no-brainer at this point as the Shield got involved. Henry cleaned house, but um, Reigns killed him dead with a spear. Again, just very good set up on all fronts. The breakup of the shield is going to be huge. And if the rumors are to be believed, a triple threat match uh, between the shield, uh, you know, a three-way dance between the shield is, is, is a, it's going to be ridiculous any way you slice it. And honestly, if you use the U S title as the chip for that, as the catalyst, I think it would, it would definitely be a good way to let these guys go out there and have a good match. Now, if you're not sure about how well these guys work in a match, uh, homework assignment. Uh, look up uh, Ambrose, uh, Rollins, and Roman Reigns wrestled as Leaki in uh, NXT. Look up that match. That match, those guys, they put on a triple threat match in NXT. It was ridiculous. It was probably... if. If that NXT match gives me any indication of what a match between those three uh, Shield members would would result in at WrestleMania, definitely I it you have applause for me to make that happen because that's one of the things that you, there once in a while a group of individuals comes along that all work well together and you know we had the SmackDown Six uh, back in the day and we've had a, a decent stable of guys that have worked well together. But right now, it's Ambrose, Rollins, Reigns, CM Punk, and Daniel Bryan, and Bray Wyatt in terms of guys that have, that have definitely ran, ran the gamut with, with working together. 
But definitely do yourselves a favor. Look it up in NXT. It's Ambrose, Rollins, and Leaki. That's who Roman Reigns was in NXT. Definitely check it out. Um, if, if Slick is in there, definitely, if he can, throw a link in the chat for people to check it out. It, it was definitely a solid, solid outing. So, of course, the Divas were, you know, de- pretty much five minutes for me to run down and use the bathroom. But the funny thing about this match, besides the fact that you can tell that they weren't trying to do anything uh, because Naomi got injured, is the fact that uh, pretty much the Bellas almost killed themselves with uh, trying to do the Hardy Boys poetry in motion. And I believe it was Brie Bella that slipped off Nikki Bella's back and landed face first. I believe it was on Alicia Fox. So um, definitely a clusterfuck. Uh, They gave the pinfall to Cameron, uh, which basically is uh, a nice way of saying we're only going to give it to you because Naomi is injured. And I'm going to talk about that later on. Uh, But overall, the Divas match, not a good outing. Usually I say, oh, you know, the Divas were improving. This match definitely did not add to that in the least. On the contrary, this match was, yuck, simple as that. We get a promo for Alexander Rusev with Lana, which, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Corporate Kane comes out. Him and Daniel Bryan have a nice little exchange. We get our non-title Randy Orton-John Cena match with Cena getting the clean pin on Randy Orton. So, very surprising, John Cena getting the clean pin. Of course, Randy Orton is fighting all his opponents on en route to the Elimination Chamber. I will tell you guys this. Randy Orton takes on Antonio Cesaro on SmackDown. Now, if you've read the spoilers, you know what happens. But I got to tell you guys, if you don't read the spoilers, definitely check out SmackDown with um, Cesaro and Orton. That's all I'm saying. Definitely check it out because it was it definitely was a solid, solid match. And the outcome will definitely shock a lot of you. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the wrestling news for this week. Uh, a couple of things I did want to touch on. Uh, first being, get this. Um, the Raw after the Elimination Chamber is probably going to be the biggest Raw of 2014. Period. Now, of course, the announcement of the network and the launch of the network is a no-brainer, but the amount of star power they're trying to cram in there, the amount of people that they're trying to return uh, and trying to get back in there are are huge that most of the time we we know that these these raws that are that are highly touted rarely deliver. I can tell you guys right now, the raw after the chamber is going to be huge, um, especially because it looks like Hogan's going to come back. We're probably going to see the Undertaker. You know, we still have the you know the outcome of what's going to happen with Sting. So it's it's going to be a wild night. There's even been some teases of of Goldberg doing one more match, which we're not going to get at WrestleMania 30. So. Anybody thinking of Goldberg and Ryback, it's not going to happen. But you never know. With the launch of the network on Monday, we got to expect the unexpected at this point. We got to expect some some big returns. We got to expect some crazy moments because you want to make sure that Raw ends on a high note to push people to tune into the network. That's all I'm saying. Raw Raw on the 24th is going to be insane. But it's going to be insane 
because it's it's going to lead into you picking up the network. That's all I'm saying. But I will tell you guys, the network is going to be huge, not only for the fans, but even for us at MTR, because at pretty much most of the staff is going to pick it up. I know Jay is, is a day one, is a day one. I know Quark is a day one. Um, I'm picking it up definitely. Uh, of course, the the allure of getting WrestleMania is is going to be is is the big chip there because again, you pay the six months, you're good. You don't have to pay it again till June. I could live with that. But again, uh, Monday night the 24th is going to be huge, and I gotta I, I gotta say you can't you can't miss it. You can't miss it Monday night. Even even if you're not getting the network and you're just going to watch Raw, it's 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 going to be big. Jay and Quark are both are both feeling that WrestleMania is not going to be good. Jay says WrestleMania is going to be subpar. Uh, Quark says WrestleMania is always whack. Um, you, WrestleMania has always been a love hate thing for me. I always look at WrestleMania as the Super Bowl of wrestling in the sense that we watch the Super Bowl every year. Sometimes it's with teams that we want there. Sometimes it's with teams that we don't want there, but we still watch it. And every year is hit or miss. Same thing with WrestleMania. Some years, WrestleMania is, oh my God, it's amazing. Then there are years where the last couple of years where WrestleMania has kind of been like, eh, it's, it's, it's been, you know, it, it's one of those things where it, it, it kind of is, you know, it, it runs, it runs. I don't even want to say it runs in cycles, but I want to say that the last three WrestleManias have been, have been okay. They haven't been, they haven't been great. Hopefully this year with the network and everything, it'll be a different story. But again, I can see why, you know, Jay and Quark are concerned. Now, if we get this Batista, Randy Orton main event, then it's definitely going to suck. But that's a discussion that we'll have closer towards uh, WrestleMania. If you're a Twitter follower and you follow Lance Storm, you may have found out that Naomi is going to require eye surgery after taking that knee drop last week. Um, it seems that she is going to need surgery to re- to repair a fractured orbital socket, which is right around here, uh, orbital bone. And according to what they were saying, and a lot of different websites have been saying it this, this week, uh, the plan was for Naomi to challenge for the belt with a match at Mania against AJ and win the belt at, you know, to win the belt at WrestleMania. Of course, now that she's going to require surgery to repair her orbital bone, uh, the facts are that her her status for WrestleMania is questionable. Now, I'm curious, would any of you guys have a problem with Naomi being champion? The reason I say this is because she's a good worker. Her mic work is okay, but she's she's a good worker. She goes in there. She has really good matches. If if we didn't give if we didn't have the belt on AJ, what other diva would you put it on that's not the Bellas? Because I'll be honest, what are you gonna do? Maybe put it on Tamina if she turned the face, if she turned face, yeah, maybe putting it on Natalia. You could put it on Natalia, but the problem is with Natalia is just she's so she she's so ahead of the other divas that it's just not gonna work. It, it's you know it, that's that's how it goes. Naomi gets the bell would be an example for young black girls, according to Jay. Okay, I, I, can, I can see that. I can see that. But honestly, with Naomi on the shelf, do we not have the belt defended at WrestleMania? And if not, I mean, if so, against who? 
Because seriously, I really don't want the Bella Twins to get the belt. I don't. Maybe turn Tamina face. Eh, you know, Layla, Layla's future is questionable from what I've heard. I've heard Layla's future is is seriously in question. Or she may come back, but may not wrestle. Or may just work in backstage. Whatever the case is. But Layla, as, as, as of right now, is a non-factor. So there's really not... There's not anybody. You know? Val, Val says Natalia. Yeah, you could give the belt to Natalia and it ties into to Total Divas and it works. But again, it's 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 questionable. Jay asked in the chat, when was the last time the Divas belt was was defended at WrestleMania? Dude, I don't even remember. I really don't. I don't. You know what the thing is? I've always felt, and I and I'm a purist, that the titles should be defended at every pay-per-view. And I don't mean the the world heavyweight title. I mean all the belts. It's pay-per-view. People pay for it. You want to defend all the belts. That's what pay-per-view is. You tune into it for title matches. That's what you want. Cork says Naomi having the belt proves Vince isn't racist for now. Damn it, you had to break her face. Why? <laughs> Just him all pissed off. I can't put it on the other one. Her blonde weave is distracting. It is true. That that chick's blonde weave on Monday night was super distracting. Fucking terrible. I thought that shit was a wig because it was that bad. But seriously, going back, going back to what I was saying, titles should be defended on pay-per-view. Period. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's a shitty match or a good match. Pay-per-view. That's all I'm saying. Jay says Naomi needs a bigger belt. (laughs) This is true. Slick says the Divas title is the equivalent of a gold star in third grade. You know what the problem is? You have these belts. They got to be defended. Like the Dean Ambrose thing. The Dean Ambrose thing obviously is leading to something. But it's true. You are the champion. It should be defended. This goes back to what I said about a TV title. If you bring, if you unify the IC and US titles and you bring back the TV title, that belt should be defended on every program. Raw, main event, and SmackDown. And if you don't want to defend it on pay-per-view, that's fine. But it should be defended and the belt should change hands on regular television. Jay says the Divas belt has no prestige. That's why no one cares. You don't, you don't, nobody cares about that belt. And it's true. There is no prestige, but think about it. The last time the women's title had prestige was during the Lita and Trish era where you had Lita, you had Trish, you had Ivory, you had Molly Holly, you had jazz, you had China, hell, you had Stephanie McMahon, uh, you had Tori, you had Tori that was with DX, you had Tori Wilson, Candice Michelle. You know what I mean? Like, like, think about all the divas I just named that that were involved in the women's division at the time. And even if the belt was on these women for a short period of time, it was it was memorable. You know, uh, Christy Hemi out of Tough Enough when she had it. Gail Kim. Thank you. Well, you know what it was? Gail Kim's run when she when she was in the WWE the first time was shit. But but her second run was better. You can also talk. We, we can also throw in Victoria. Uh, Lisa Varon, um, 
you know, you, there, there was a list of, of divas at the time when the women's title was relevant that was leaps and bounds ahead of anything you see on, on television right now. Now, TNA, they had a lock on the women's wrestlers and, and they were killing it. But now, not so much. I mean, think about it. TNA at one point had Angelina Love, Velvet Sky, uh, ODB. Um, what the hell was her name? The, the girl with the short hair. Um, Madison Rain. Uh, who else? Who else do we have? Um, shit. TNA's knockouts at one point had a huge roster. Awesome Kong. Um, of course, Gail Kim. Uh, Brooke. Not, not Hogan, Brooke Tessmacher. Uh, the, the list go the list goes on of women at the time. Uh, what the hell was the girl with the blonde hair that was super? She was super over. She had she had a lot of great matches with Awesome Kong. I can't remember. She was short, uh, kind of stocky, blonde hair. Um, she was she was really good. She worked. She was in TNA for a little bit. Then she went on to become a college student. Like she went to school and then she left. Now, no, not not hardcore country. Uh, well. Hardcore country, she she counts, she counted, but she's not even counting now. Supposedly, uh, she may come on board for WWE as a trainer. But again, that's what I'm saying. Like TNA at one point had the best uh, women's division on the planet. Now, not so much. And there's a lot of great uh, female wrestlers that are out there that haven't been picked up. Um, you know, you you got you got Eva Lee's Velez. Um, you have uh, what's her name, Santana Garrett. You you got Angelina Love, who's still a free agent. Um, the girl that used to be with Paul Burchill. What the hell is her name? Winter in TNA. Ah, yes, Taylor Wilde. Thank you, Jay. Taylor Wilde. That was her name. Ta Jay said Taylor some shit. Yes, it was Taylor Wilde. You know, but that's what I mean. During that point, TNA was kicking ass with their women's division. Now, same thing like the Divas. Paper thin. And I don't understand why when there's so many talented female wrestlers out there. That's all I'm saying. But with regards to Naomi and possibly getting the Divas title, we can pretty much put the kibosh on that and the, ch and the opportunity for it, for that belt being defended at WrestleMania. So usually we don't have what the fuck wrestling news and this bit of wrestling news, I was going to save it for the entertainment segment, but it was too good to pass up. So Variety put out an article earlier this week. Um, get this. WWE is partnering with 20th Century Fox to produce the Marine 4. Pay attention. The Marine 4. Not only that, but they're also working on a sequel to Jingle All the Way. Now, when Jingle All the Way came out, I worked in a movie theater on 188th Street and Horace Harding here in Queens. Um... Jingle All the Way starred Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Listen to what I'm telling you. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sinbad. Now, this next movie, the sequel to Jingle All the Way, is going to have Santino Morella and Larry the Cable Guy. I can't, I can't even make this shit up. Jingle All the Way 2 will star Santino and Larry the Cable Guy. The Marine 4 will star The Miz and will also feature Summer Rae. So yeah, Prissy Hen is going to be in danger, and The Miz is going to have to save her. So yeah, Larry the Cable Guy. You've never heard of Larry the Cable Guy, Val? He's that that fat comic. He's the voice of Mater in, um, in Cars. 
But yeah, WWE, 20th Century Fox, The Marine 4, and Jingle All the Way 2. Yep, get her done. Thank you, that, uh, thank you, Slick. But yes, that that is that is your is your wrestling segment of the week right there. Not only that, but thus far, here's what WWE Studios has on the pipe for you guys. Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery, which is coming out March 25th. Leprechaun Origins, starring Hornswoggle. That's coming out in August. See No Evil 2 with Kane coming out in October. The Fall Guy with The Rock being released in 2015. Now now you have to add to that The Marine 4 and Jingle All the Way 2. Jingle All the Way 2. Here's the thing that kills me. Jingle All the Way is going to have Santino and Larry the Cable Guy. Just, just, Just that pairing alone. Makes no sense. Santino and Larry the Cable Guy. As for as for the Marine movies, whatever. You want to have the Miz out there. He does good press. Fuck it. But really, Jingle All the Way? Can Slick, can you do me a favor? Can you IMDB Jingle All the Way and put it put in the chat what year it came out in? Because like I said, I, w- I was in high school when that movie came out. And I worked in a movie theater and I watched that movie... I want to say at least a hundred times because I was an usher. And every time I watched it, it made me hate Sinbad that much more. There's no comic on this planet that I loathe more than Sinbad. 1996. Thank you. I was 16 when it dropped. Thank you guys. And, and it again, 1996. Now here we are in 2014 and you're getting a sequel for a movie from 1996. It's, it's just a, a recipe for fucking disaster. Just because, you know, pretty much when, when you see it, you're going to say to yourself, why would you do this? Why? The only thing that could sum this up better than, than any complaint. That's pretty much it. But here, here's the thing. We can rest easy knowing that none of these movies are going to be in theaters. Thank you, Slick. Straight to DVD. We can rest easy. The only movie I probably see going to the theater, maybe, is See No Evil 2, maybe, and Leprechaun Origins. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. You know, I think, I think if you were going to go with any movie being successful out of this entire list, See No Evil 2 probably and uh, The Fall Guy with The Rock. But the fall guy isn't coming out till 2015. So in 2014, that's the shit you're going to have to deal with. The Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery, which will be out next month. Then, of course, Leprechaun Origins and See No Evil 2. (laughs) There you have it. Anyway, Triple H announced on his bullshit-ass interviews that he does with Michael Cole that the 2014 WWE Hall of Fame induction ceremony will be broadcast in its entirety on the WWE Network. Not a shock in the in the least. Not a shock. Quark says, I still own a Turbo Man. Just saying. <laughs> that was the only good thing that came out of that movie. Turbo Man. That's it. And I equate Turbo Man right up there with Scuba Steve in terms of, you know, fictional toys that you must own. Scuba Steve and Turbo Man. Oh, and Wafflebot from... Um, uh, Harold and Kumar's Christmas movie. 
definitely waffle bot just flinging hot waffle sauce on somebody and burning them with third degree burns. Any of those toys I could definitely rock with. But seriously, I mean, this is what we got to deal with. So, like I said, no shock. 2014 Hall of Fame ceremony on the network in its entirety, which is going to be awesome. Uh, hopefully we get some other awesome nominees. All I know is that Jake the Snake and the Ultimate Warriors promos are going to be at least 20 minutes. At least. At least 20 minutes. Quark says Scooby-Doo looks awesome, though. Scooby-Doo, you know what it is? That's a kid's movie. I, I can't even say that that's a bad thing because it's catering to the demographic that's going to spend money. So I'm sure I'm sure some of you probably were like, oh, you know, Rich isn't saying anything bad about the Scooby-Doo WrestleMania mystery. Simple, because it's for kids. That's that's that that's pretty much Vince McMahon standing outside the theater with a cash register and taking everyone's money. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. One thing that's going to affect the WWE network that not too many people are talking about is the WWE's relationship with Comcast. For those of you that don't know, Comcast, which owns NBC and Universal, was um, acquired or is being acquired by Time Warner Cable. Now, the reasoning for this is, is interesting in the sense that Comcast has a special deal with, um, with NBC and Universal and the WWE with regards to how WWE broadcast their shows. Of course, Raw being on USA, uh, SmackDown being on Sci-Fi. Uh, thank you. The other way around. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, Time Warner Cable acquired Comcast. Nope. Is it the other way around? No. Comcast is buying Time Warner. Did I fuck that up? Yes. Yes, I did. So Comcast is, is acquiring Time Warner. Now, the interesting thing about this is that all the, all the negotiations between WWE and NBC and Universal have, have no longer uh, been extended. In other words, that, that exclusive negotiating period that they had is gone. So any network can make a pitch to WWE and air their shows. So what I'm saying is, right now, you have Raw on USA, SmackDown on Sci-Fi, and um, Main Event on Ion. Now that the, the, the negotiating window is closed, we're going to see what's going to happen with regards to Time Warner Cable being involved, because seriously, who's going to pay the WWE what they want and also compete with the network? Just think about it. You're going to watch Raw on TV Monday nights. You may DVR it. But in the event that you miss Raw, you can watch it on the network. So why, why would you be sweating it? That's the thing that gets me. So with Comcast acquiring Time Warner, it opens up a couple of very, very interesting scenarios. Either WWE goes to new networks. Maybe maybe they go back to, uh, you know, Spike TV, which would be which would be dead for TNA or or they go that route. Maybe they do Spike TV and MTV once again. And, you know, NBC Universal falls by the wayside. But this this merger is going to be very huge, like I said, because of that and how the WWE network factors in is going to pretty much give us a landscape of of how we're going to consume regular wrestling programming on these channels. So we'll see how it pans out in the coming weeks. Um, Val says all MTV shows now are teen mom, but you know what it is? 
you got to think about if they get back on Spike TV, WWE is not going to want to compete with TNA. Just saying. Now, maybe they'll put SmackDown on MTV. Maybe not. But again, these are things that definitely need to be looked at because now with this merger, it's, it's going to change things for sure. All right, I'm sure some of you guys are definitely going to want to pick this up. WWE is putting out WCW's Greatest Pay-Per-View Matches Volume 1 on DVD and Blu-ray. Now, they got a lot of really good matches on there, some better than others. Uh, the first disc is going to have, I'm going to go through some of the matches, Ronnie Garvin and Ric Flair from Starcade 1987. Holy shit. You couple that with Barry Windham versus Dusty Rhodes from Great American Bash in 1988. Oh, man. This match, though, I'll probably buy it just for this. The Road Warriors taking on Sting and Dusty Rhodes from Starcade December 26th. Just because I haven't seen I haven't seen Road Warriors Road Warrior matches in a long time. Definitely wouldn't mind that. Uh, Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from Chi-Town Rumble, February 20th, 1989. Uh, United States Championship match with Lex Luger taking on Brian Pillman. That was from Halloween Havoc 1989. I could I I definitely rock with that. And of course, um, on the first disc, Ric Flair versus Sting from the Great American Bash in 1990. Now on disc two, you got a couple of old matches which were okay. One of my favorites, Jushin Thunder Liger taking on Brian Pillman. That's going to make me want to buy this uh, from Super Brawl 2. Also, uh, Vader and Cactus Jack from Halloween Havoc in 1993. And you got to factor in Stunning Steve Austin and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat from Bash at the Beach 1994. So I, I, I could rock with all those matches. Uh, career versus career steel cage match for the uh, World WCW World Heavyweight Championship. It was Hogan and Ric Flair. The special referee was Mr. T. That was from Halloween Havoc 1994. Again, solid, solid matches. Now... Getting into disc three, we're going to see some matches, which we all know. Uh, the Outsiders took on Sting, Lex Luger, and Macho Man. That was from Bash at the Beach 1996. Uh, the No DQ match from Spring Stampede with DDP and Macho Man. Uh, Mask versus Cruiserweight Championship match with Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. Bret Hart versus Randy Savage with Roddy Piper as your guest referee. That was from Slamboree 1998. I could rock with that. Uh, Cruiserweight Championship match, Chris Jericho took on Juventud Guerrera, the special guest referee, the man of a thousand holds himself, Dean Malenko. And the big one, World Heavyweight Championship match, Goldberg, Diamond Dallas Page from Halloween Havoc, 1998. Now, the last remaining matches, I'm sure a lot of you guys are going to have a couple of laughs. Jeff Jarrett versus Booker T from uh, Bash at the Beach, July 9th, 2000. I believe that was when Booker T first won the belt. Uh, also. Uh, the ladder match for number one contenders uh, for the Cruiserweight Championship. Three count versus Jamie Noble and Evan Courageous versus the Jung Dragons. That was from Starcade 2000. And last but not least, a, a gem of a match for a multitude of reasons. Uh, the false count anywhere match between Scott Steiner and Diamond Dallas Page from the Greed pay-per-view in 2001. So definitely a lot of standout matches there. There's, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of awesome commentary and a lot of really, really great insight to some of these matches. Like I said, um, you know, the, the, the match with Brian Pillman and, um, 
Liger is going to be an amazing match. I, I definitely would love to see that. Uh, like I said, 1992, I was 12 years old. I remember watching that Super Brawl match from a, from a videotape that a kid I went to school with had recorded. So again, it'd be cool to see that now that I'm older. Uh, Liger and um, Brian Pillman is going to be amazing. That set, when it drops, is going to be sick. And as always, you can order that from the MTR Amazon shop on MyTakeRadio.com. So last week, we talked about the possible, <clears throat> excuse me, the possible exit of Alberto Del Rio after his contract is up. But it looks like Christian also, which I mentioned earlier, will not be renewing his contract at 40 years old. He feels uh, WWE isn't going to do anything really significant with him. So I wouldn't be shocked when Christian's contract is up that either he doesn't uh, renew his contract or he retires. So be on the lookout for that. Again, we'll see what happens with the chamber next week, whether Christian will even be in the match. Just, just something to keep in mind. If you've been watching TV recently, number one, where the hell is Brodus Clay? Number two, where the hell is Tenzai? Well, I can answer one of those two questions. Brodus Clay, I don't know where he is. But Tenzai looks to actually be wrapping up his career as a wrestler for the time being. Uh, he is going to be an announcer full time. He's been working in NXT as an announcer thus far and has been getting great work. Um, people really are impressed with his announcing capabilities. And he's been also involved in pre-show and post-show runs that WWE is working on for the network. So you'll probably be seeing Tenzai doing uh, maybe a raw post-show or a raw pre-show on the network. Again, this isn't the end of him as an in-ring competitor, but as of right now, it looks like Tenzai is going to be making the switch to the commentator booth, which is fine. I think he, he does very well in there. And honestly, I don't think he was doing too much um, on the roster as it is. We'll see what happens in the coming months. I mean, he's always said in various interviews he wants to make the match. I mean, he wants to make the transition from wrestling matches to doing commentary and it looks like wwe is granting his wish another guy who's going to disappear for a couple of weeks will be the miz uh who is going to be marrying maurice uh, i believe next week so he'll probably be off television for the next two weeks so you know shed a tear if you're a miz fan or not but he is marrying maurice and he'll be on his honeymoon for the time being it looks like he will probably be back right after the elimination chamber and work that week of television and those shows, but who knows? And either way, congrats to him and Maurice on their nuptials. So last bit of news I got before closing things out, take this with a grain of salt right now, but according to the wrestling observer, Rey Mysterio suffered a knee injury at Tuesday night's SmackDown tapings during the fatal four way match with Jack Swagger, Kofi Kingston and Mark Henry Mysterio landed badly on his knee and immediately rolled out of the ring. He rolled up his pants, took off a very large knee brace, and was clearly in a lot of pain. We already know that Rey Mysterio has been hampered by knee injuries for the longest time. You know, we I think in Rey's case, we really are getting to the end of the road with regards to his career. If he gets one more knee injury and he's out for the foreseeable future, I think, honestly, it's going to be the end of Rey Mysterio's career as an in-ring performer, For period. You know, the guys come back, I believe, from multiple knee operations. I think he had two the last time. 
the guy, it's just not working. It is not working. Jay says, I called it. Again, take it with a grain of salt. This is courtesy of the Wrestling Observer. Um, you know, again, Ray is an amazing talent. I wish him the best of luck, but his knees are going to give out on him sooner than the rest of his body, and he's going to have to hang it up. And honestly, he's got children. You want to be able to walk for the rest of your life, dude. You know, the, these constant knee injuries aren't doing anyone any favors. So, again, we'll see how it pans out. But as of right now, it is a rumor. We'll see how it goes. Another rumor I did want to talk about is that Michael Elgin and Kevin Steen may be getting tryouts at the WWE Performance Center in the near future. So very happy. I'm a huge Kevin Steen fan. I think Steen is amazing. If WWE can't get Samoa Joe, I'd like to see them get Kevin Steen. The guy is tremendous in the ring, an incredible performer. And don't let, you know, his non-muscular physique fool you. The guy can get it done in the ring. Jay can vouch for the fact that Kevin Steen is a problem. I believe Jay actually saw him when he was at House of Glory when Ring of Honor took on the House of Glory students. Correct me if I'm wrong with that, Jay. But again, hearing that Kevin Steen may get the opportunity to get a WWE tryout, super pumped. Michael Elgin is another guy. Um, In his case, I don't think in Michael Elgin's case, they're really going to... I don't think just because he's not a big guy. Um, Jay goes on to say, Steen and Elgin won't make it. They're great for NXT, but these dudes won't get the cut. Steen, and of course he said Steen was great at House of Glory. It's true. I mean, I think Steen would would do very well in terms of just wrestling capability on the main roster, but since he's not super jacked and loaded with tattoos, he may not be the ideal guy, but who knows? A, a guy can dream, right? We'll see what happens. Uh, last but not least, uh, WWE's venturing into podcast territory, of course, if you listen to the Steve Austin podcast or the Chris Jericho podcast on Podcast One, um, you already know that WWE's kind of been testing the waters with this stuff. Um, in Austin and Jericho's case, obviously they're not WWE-sanctioned podcasts, but WWE will be putting out their own, and it will be hosted by Renee Young. It's going to be put out to help build the hype for WrestleMania, and um, it looks like WWE's going to make a bigger push for podcasting. I mean... The podcasting medium as a whole continues to grow leaps and bounds. Um, of course, there's a lot of great shows that have been part of that, including a lot of our guys over here at GFQ, our friends at VGN. So, um, you know, it's interesting to see where WWE goes with podcasts and if they're going to be making that a bigger part of the network. But again, we'll see what happens. Um, Renee Young definitely is better suited. I think she has, uh, obviously her youth and her experience allows her to better understand the podcasting medium. So definitely, I think it's a solid move. Do I feel that WWE's podcasts are going to be great? I bet you they'll be extremely well produced, but I think they're not going to have the same level of content as a Steve Austin podcast or a Chris Jericho podcast because those podcasts exist outside of the WWE bubble, especially Steve Austin's podcast, which is amazing. That guy, and I'm going to put this out there, if you're a podcaster or an internet broadcaster, and you want to learn the fine art of doing live reads and learning how to promote products, listen to Steve Austin do that shit because it's gonna, it's, it, he, he is a beast when it comes to that. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, last bit of wrestling news I want to throw out. Our friends at House of Glory have their show this weekend. Uh, it was scheduled to be Amazing Red and AJ Styles taking on 
you know, Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. But unfortunately, one of the Young Bucks actually sustained a hand injury earlier in the week. So that match appears to be scrapped. But I'm sure they're either going to do um, a different tag team match or maybe a triple threat. Whatever the case is, definitely make sure to support our friends at House of Glory, hogwrestling.com. And uh, check that out. If you want further details, of course, go to House of Glory Wrestling on Facebook or Hog Wrestling on Twitter. I'm sure our very own Jay Santee will be checking out the event this weekend. And as such, definitely make sure to keep out, keep an eye out for his report on MyTakeRadio.com, as well as any photos uh, from the guys that cover both events. So there you have it. That will wrap up this week's wrestling segment. And um, definitely make sure to uh, keep an eye out for what these guys are going to be doing at House of Glory, just because, like I said, a lot of the a lot of the guys before you see them on TV, uh, like Kevin Steen, Michael Elgin, um, Amazing Red, uh, Brian XL, these guys, they, they always kill it at House of Glory. So definitely check them out if you are in the New York City area. And of course, if you want more details for that, of course, make sure to hit up Jay and he will hook you up with that. All right, so we got to talk some gaming, and it's it's going to be very, very interesting because we got some MPD stuff to discuss and a couple of other things as well. So let's get right to it, shall we? So before I get into the gaming news for this week, I did want to talk about, like I said, Assassin's Creed 4, which um, given the snow day... I actually sat down and played through it. Um, if you guys have listened to the shows, you know that I'm a huge fan of the Assassin's Creed series, but I've been extremely let down by the storytelling in both Assassin's Creed 3 and Assassin's Creed 4. That's not to say that the games aren't a beauty to look at and aren't enjoyable from a play standpoint, but the story, the stories just leave a lot to be desired. Um, if you played Assassin's Creed 3, you'll know what I'm talking about with that ending. Um, the ending for Assassin's Creed 3 just was so... It just it just didn't work for me. So I took today, since we had the snow day, besides doing show prep, and I played, I played through Assassin's Creed 4. And when I got to the ending of the game and the final boss, um, I was really, really let down. I was let down... Not only by the way that the game progressed, but the fact that the overall, the the side missions and all the other stuff were more enjoyable than the single player campaign. And I was extremely let down. One of the things that really sold me on the Assassin's Creed series, excuse me, was the the storytelling. And in this particular instance, don't get me wrong, um, the graphics were beautiful. Uh, the side missions, all the naval combat was really good. Um, the countering system when you were fighting with the dual swords with Captain Kenway, that worked. But too much Diet Coke. This is what happens when you don't drink Monster. You try not to burp on air. Anyway, as I was saying, I just felt really let down. I thought that that the ending for as much as much work as they put into the graphics and everything else, I just felt really, really let down. Now, I was contemplating doing a review for it, but you know, if you if you if you haven't played Assassin's Creed 4 by now, I can honestly say play it if you enjoy the series, but prepare to be let down with regards to the ending. That's all I'm going to say. Anyway, 
Uh, one game that a lot of people have been extremely excited for and were really bummed when it was going to, when it was announced that it was being delayed was Watch Dogs. Uh, Watch Dogs actually got a little bit of a reprieve finally in the sense that Ubisoft actually gave us an idea of when we can see the game. Uh, they announced that the game will be released between the first quarter of their 2014-2015 fiscal season. Now, if you're curious, every every company has their own fiscal season that they use to kind of gauge when they're going to release titles. In Ubisoft's case, their fiscal season runs from April 1st to June 30th. So if you're if you're interested in Watch Dogs, that's the window you're going to have between April and June, which of course is vague as fuck, but at least you have an idea. Uh, the game will be released on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and the PC. There will be no Wii U release. Big shocker there. Originally, the game was scheduled to come out November 19th, but obviously was pushed back. Uh, Slick says that GameStop is good with dates, and they say June 30th. All right. Take what Slick says. As, as always, everything is subject to change, but Slick is usually on point with this stuff as well. Uh, June 30th, if you are going to be picking up Watch Dogs. Again, like I said, April 1st to June 30th is Ubisoft's fiscal calendar, so keep an eye out between those next that next couple of months. <clears throat> Excuse me. In some Call of Duty news, which we all know is pretty much going to be the, the name of the game for the foreseeable future, the next Call of Duty will be available only on next-gen consoles before appearing on any other system. That means Xbox One and PS4 will get it first, maybe PS3 and Xbox 360, but maybe not. Now, um, Activision CEO Eric Hirschberg said that Sledgehammer is going to be handling the generation, uh, the next-gen development for the next Call of Duty game. Afterwards, they're going to start adopting their three-year development cycle with Infinity Ward and Treyarch rounding out the trio. In other words... Um, if you're a Call of Duty, uh, Call of Duty. <laughs> if you're a Call of Duty fan, you're gonna want to keep an eye out because Sledgehammer will be putting it out first. Afterwards, Infinity Ward, then Treyarch. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is because I know a lot of guys they have a loyalty to the Infinity Ward Call of Duty or the Treyarch Call of Duty. But again, since they're switching to this three-year development cycle, you're gonna have to wait until your favorite your your, you know, certain certain guys, certain devs uh, step up to the place. Uh, Slick says, the only Activision game I care about is Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> Val says Call of Duty is dead. You know what the thing is? I don't, I play Call of Duty on occasion. You know, usually on uh, as a Gamefly rental. But um, when, when I've played them, I play through the single player campaign and then I try, you know, I trade the games in or I return them and that's it. I like the single player campaigns. They're pretty good. Um, Call of Duty Ghost single player campaign. A lot of people said was really good, but uh, too many people jump into the multiplayer and that's fine. But if there's one thing I've learned and it's an exercise in frustration for me personally is is going online with Call of Duty. If you haven't played the game for a, for a decent period of time or you don't go online with a group of friends, you, the, the amount of just frustration and hacking and mindless killing is going to piss a lot of people off. You know, quick scoping, um, you know, guys that, that camp out, whatever the case is. Either way, you know, for me personally, Call of Duty, it's a first player, uh, you know, a single player campaign experience that I enjoy. 
Is the multiplayer good? Yes. Is it something that I personally need? That's that's a separate that's a separate issue. But keep that in mind if you are a Call of Duty fan, the next get the next Call of Duty will hit next gen consoles first. So if you you've been on the fence about updating or changing systems, keep that in mind going forward. On MyTakeRadio.com, a couple of months back, I announced that a uh, slim PlayStation Vita is going to be released internationally. Now it looks like that slim PlayStation Vita will be released here in the U.S. Um, It's going to come bundled with Borderlands 2 and an 8-gig memory card, and it will run you $200. Uh, It will be available this spring. Uh, Borderlands 2 will also release separately with six DLC packs and cross-platform capability. Uh, the DLC packs are Captain Scarlet and her Pirate's Booty, uh, Mr. Torque's Campaign of Carnage, The Psycho, The Mechromancer, Ultimate Vault Hunter Upgrade Pack 1, and the Collector's Edition Pack. So if you are a fan of the PlayStation Vita, you'll be able to pick that up this spring. Of course, the game can also use uh, save games from the PS3 version. Uh, the Slim Vita will also have a God of War version and a Sly Cooper version being released Uh, The God of War collection will be available May 6th, and the Sly Cooper bundle will be available May 27th. Again, make a note of that if you are a PlayStation Vita fan, or if you're looking to pick up a PlayStation Vita, save your money until the spring. Kurt Suter's Sons of Anarchy revealed on his Twitter account earlier this week that we will be seeing a Sons of Anarchy game based, of course, on the hit show from from FX. Excuse me. Uh, that game will be following, uh, will be going in a first-person style, of course, with you know action and adventure elements. Uh, he said that it represents an evolution of gaming. So if you are a fan of Sons of Anarchy, keep an eye out for a Sons of Anarchy game hitting retailers within, within the near future. Now, of course, for once, I can actually report some good Nintendo news during Nintendo's direct live stream. Uh, They announced that Mario Kart 8 will be released on May 30th. We also saw that Little Mac will be joining uh, the new Smash Brothers game. We also saw a new trailer for Donkey Kong Country. So definitely solid, solid news from Nintendo. If you are a Mario Kart fan and you have a Wii U, mark down May 8th on your calendar and you'll be able to pick up Mario. I mean, uh, excuse me, Mario Kart 8 drops on May 30th. Sorry, little little, um, mess up with the numbers there, but Mario Kart 8, will launch May 30th. Definitely looks like a, like an awesome outing as usual. Nintendo definitely stepped their game up with regards to this new generation of Mario Kart. So if you're on the fence about picking up a Wii U but are a hardcore Mario Kart fan, I, I got to definitely give a an endorsement for it. Same thing with uh, Donkey Kong Country and, of course, Super Smash Brothers, which is always awesome. And um, that that's probably a day one purchase. If they, if they drop the price of the Wii U, I may actually pick it up just for Mario Kart and um, Smash Brothers. Both those games just definitely are, are system buyers for me. Uh, thus far, the Wii U for me personally hasn't been on my radar. But after playing the brand new Mario game and, and Cat Mario running around, uh, definitely has changed. It has changed things. So we'll see what happens. Like I said, Mario Kart 8 hits retailers May 30th. All right, so on the MPD numbers, January was a very interesting month for a couple of reasons, and we talked about this in past episodes of My Take Radio in the sense that um, 
consoles, console numbers, you really got to factor not just November and December, but also January because people are going to use their gift cards. And not only that, but the, the mad dash to get systems has, it takes a, it gets scaled back. Well, now we finally got the January MPD numbers, but I will tell you that the PlayStation 4 outsold the Xbox One in January, according to MPD. But before anybody jumps on on the Sony bandwagon and jumps out of their skin, while Sony did sell more PlayStation 4 units, Xbox sold more games. So, so look at it that way. Everybody's jumping on this, oh, the console wars. PlayStation 4 outsold Xbox One, yes. But Xbox One sold more games. According to what they were saying, uh, the company captured 47% of the market share of retail in the U.S. It didn't give out specific titles, but Tomb Raider Definitive Edition sold twice as many copies on PlayStation 4, according to Sony. So again... You know, it, it's very interesting that everybody's jumping on board with the whole console wars concept. And I agree with with Val saying that they're dumb, you know, but the fact is that when you look at it, these games and these systems numbers really don't matter until later on in the console's life cycle. And the reason I say that is because there's really not that many games for you to run out there and buy. Number one. Number two is the fact that you still can't find a PlayStation 4 in most retail outlets. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. And that is, that's definitely something you have to consider. Everybody's talking about, oh, this console is outselling that console, but I can walk into a store and buy an Xbox One today, right now. Yet I can't walk into a store and buy a PlayStation 4. And I agree. While, while PlayStation 4 is outselling the Xbox One, the Xbox One is selling more games. Slick says, I have not seen an Xbox One anywhere. You know what's funny? You Slick, I've seen it at the Target by my office, uh, Best Buy, Walmart, the two game stops in Roosevelt Field, um, Toys R Us also, definitely. Uh, the Xbox One, you can find it. And even if a store doesn't have it, they usually get them relatively quick. I have yet to walk into a Target or a Best Buy, except with the exception of the days that they're putting it in the circular and find a PlayStation 4 console ready to be purchased. Xbox One, piece of cake. But again, there, like I said, there's a couple of things to consider. Let's, let's, let's break it down a little further. January is, without a doubt, the first non-holiday shopping month. So... You know, you have you have Thanksgiving, Black Friday. I mean, for 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 hardcore Puerto Ricans, maybe Three Kings Day on January sixth. But seriously, January no real holidays. You have President's Day um, in February. You have Martin Luther King Day in January. But I'm I'm talking about retail holidays. And with that with that in mind, you know, Xbox One sold about nine hundred eight thousand systems, and PlayStation Four, even though they had a supply issue and they had $100 less, they, their systems were harder to find, which was resulting in a lot of people picking up Xbox Ones because they couldn't get PlayStation 4s. I know at least three people that when they were out looking for PlayStation 4s couldn't find them and opted to just buy an Xbox One, 
and they haven't really complained too much. But again, these are things to take into consideration. Now, when you break it down to brass tacks, the real the real success of this console, nine uh Slick says you had said 908,000 Xbox Ones. How many PS4s have sold? I don't have the PS4 numbers here. Um they're saying that Xbox One took the top spot last month um, with uh, 908,000 systems in the U.S. Given that the PS4 has suffered issues with supply constraint, while the Xbox One is easy enough to find at retail, it seems the $100 price difference between the two is starting to have an effect. So, again, if I had the PS4 number slick, I'd share them. I don't. Um, but here's the thing. Now that now that January's has already come and gone and we're into February and February's winding down, we have a couple of games we got to look out for. Of course, Slick has mentioned Infamous in the chat and we've talked about that. Uh Xbox One has Titanfall to look forward to. Titanfall itself is probably going to move some consoles. That's one of the the games that everybody's saying is going to be a factor in the shift of power. Um 3DS and Wii U game sales have increased year to year. So again, Nintendo has a couple of good games coming out that should really turn the tide, but Titanfall definitely will be a game that will move systems. So keep, keep that in mind. Titanfall is a game. It's coming on Xbox one first, then 360 after. And if you've been watching the betas on, on, on Twitch TV, or if you've registered for the Titanfall beta, which I believe registrations open Monday. Um, they opened this past Monday. The fact is that Titanfall definitely is going to um, allow Xbox to showcase their hardware in a fashion that it actually looks favorable to them. And the reason I say this is because when you look at a game like Rise, which you know I always reference because it's such a, a, a an impressive game from a graphic standpoint, but just not a very good game as a whole, it's one of those things where Microsoft needs the perfect combination of gameplay and graphics to start moving some units. Now, the easy answer is, oh, well, you know, it's always Halo that leads the charge. Clearly, they don't have a Halo yet, so they're really working to make Titanfall that game. Now, you know, you will, you know, Val says they're writing the Infinity Ward name. We'll see if the hype is real. It's true. We will see, but I mean... From what I've seen on Twitch with regards to Titanfall and a couple of people that have had the opportunity to play the game, I think that the that the hype is definitely real and the game will sell. Now, the question is, will it move enough units to make a substantial difference? That, my friends, remains to be seen. Um, according to what Slick said, uh, January's uh, 2014 MPD, PlayStation 4 outsells Xbox One by two to one. Which is true, supposedly, and and I and and I agree. But the thing that everybody's saying is that while PlayStation Four outsold from a console standpoint, Xbox One sold more games, which again is interesting. Now, here's here's the thing I, I want to toss out there: if if Xbox One is selling more games, what games are people buying? Are they buying the same rehash games? Because that's the real question: Are they buying? Are they rebuying Assassin's Creed? Are they rebuying Tomb Raider? Are they buying NBA 2K? Are they buying Madden? You know, like everybody talks about how Xbox One sold more games, but I'm curious as to if they were games that people even gave a fuck about. Because that's the real kicker. 
were they games that anybody remotely cared about? Because if it's the same rehash, then you really want to throw in an asterisk when you discuss that. That's all I'm saying. I know Slick was uh, Slick just dropped me a communique that he's going to be calling in. So uh, let me know when you're dialed in because I do not see you on the switchboard. So just uh, let me know when you're there, Slick, and I'll bring you on. But it's true. I think I think when you look at when you look at the the numbers and and the sales numbers that are being put out there, um, you know, it's just weird to me that these guys they're talking about oh, well, Xbox is selling so many games, this and that blah 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 and it's and it's fine you know you're entitled to feel that way but i just don't think that these these companies have really done you know i don't want to say that they've done due diligence i just feel that they haven't really put out anything that has wowed me enough to want to go and buy a system now of course everybody's going to say yeah but when titanfall comes out it's going to be a game changer yeah it might but what if it's not has anybody thought for one second that everybody's riding the hype train now and that the game may not be that good. Just, just tossing that out there. It may be, it may be something worth addressing. That's all I'm saying. Anyway, I see slick is on the line. Let me bring him in. Slick. What's up, brother? What's up? I don't know, bro. You tell me besides, you know, 20 pounds of snow on the floor. What else you got? Well, you said that, Xbox One is selling more games and it would have to because both consoles require you to buy you know their their um subscription service PSN plus or Xbox Live Gold to to use them online. Right. But with the Xbox One, all that does is allow you to play online. Right. But you gotta you think you have to buy games when you get Xbox One. When you get a PlayStation Four you get like three or four games right off the back, free. Yeah, but with All you Xbox, gotta do is hit that button to download them. Yeah, but you get Killer Instinct for free on Xbox One. No, you don't. You get two characters. Well, games. yeah, but you, but you, but you, that's, but you that's get not kill, that's not Killer Instinct, dude. I'm sorry, it's not. Dude, a game's a you game. You gotta though. pay to play that game. You gotta pay to play, and that, and and again, not, I'm not a fan of that. But a game is a game. You turn on your Xbox, you put in your, your your Xbox Live shit, and you play Killer Instinct. Even if you if you play it with two characters or not, it's a it's a game that's on your console. You could turn on your PlayStation Four and and you can play Pong as the game that's included on the fucking system, but it's still a game. In the grand the scheme of things, with two characters is a glorified tech demo. It is, but it's still it's still a game that if you're if you're a parent that bought your kid an Xbox One and didn't get a chance to pick up a game, your kid can still play something. Again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but it's it's a game. You know, and it's true. It's true. It is a tech demo. It yes, they nickel and dime the fuck out of you. None of these things are are wrong. They're not incorrect statements. But when you plug in that fucking system, and you turn that shit on, you're playing something. Not with yourself, but you're playing with something, you know? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Well, what I'm saying is what you get when you turn on that PS4 is more. Granted, you actually have to do, do the hard work of hitting a couple of buttons to download it. Exactly. 
which but is it's fine. Free. Of course. The the PSN Gold subscription for for as much of a, as I wasn't a fan of it at the beginning is an incredible value. I mean, uh I think the last game I got was DMC when they gave it for free uh earlier this week. I know Xbox with uh on on Gold, I picked up uh Dead Island for free this week. So you know, again, first there's one the, the, the first one is free. The first one is free. But that's what I'm saying. Either way. Well, you spoke highly of that game, so I figured, oh, let me let me let me bag it since it's free on here. You know, what the fuck am I gotta what do I gotta lose? Nothing. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. So when you look at these when you look at these services, yes, there's incredible value in these services that that affect the, the success rate for both brand new next gen systems. But what gets me is the fact that everybody's like, yeah, Xbox One sold more games. And I don't understand that because the library of games minus a couple of first party exclusives is the fucking same. You get what I'm saying? Like if you told me, oh, well, PlayStation 4 came out with God of War 4. And, and that's a game that you know is going to sell. So that makes sense. But think about it. Both systems have Assassin's Creed. Both systems have Madden. Both systems have NBA Live. Both systems have Tomb Raider, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Minus a couple of titles that are exclusive. And in a lot of cases, Go ahead. In a lot of cases cheaper on the older systems. There you go. And that's what I'm saying. And that's and that's what that's what kills me. Like that statistic. It trips me out when I read it on The Verge and I read it on, on, on a couple of other sites. They're like, yeah, well, you know, Xbox One sold more games. But, but what did they sell? Because that's what I don't like with the MPD numbers now, that these companies are vague as hell when it comes to, oh, well, you sold more games. What games did you sell? Which ones were they? How about that? Yeah, because really, unless you sold what? Unless you sold Rise... Microsoft didn't really make a whole lot of money off it, did they? And that's what I'm saying. You know, like even though Dead Rising is an exclusive title to to um, Xbox One, and I will put in parentheses right now because it's a Capcom game. Uh, doesn't that money go to Capcom? Yep, but primarily. But it, yeah, of course it goes. It goes to Capcom, but you know the numbers go go to to the platform. So they'll be like, oh, you know, we sold. We sold X amount of titles, and it's like, all right, great, but how many did you sell? You know, it's like it's like next week, Sony Sony's going to be released. Um, you know, they they have some some big titles coming out in Japan, and of course, Titanfall comes on Xbox in March. So it's like it's like each system has games that are going to definitely get attention. You know, whether it's Infamous whether it's Titanfall, whether it's this game, whether it's that game, both systems really are going to try to go out there and kind of shift the balance in their favor. The problem is that right now, both systems on a scale, even with the $100 price difference, they weigh the same to me. I know what you're saying. They weigh the same. Like, everybody's like, yeah, but you know, the PlayStation's $100 cheaper, but where are all the games? Most of them are the same. And well, again, I, I can agree with that. It's like a lot of people are trying to make me out to be a Sony fanboy, but I'm just being a realist. You say Titanfall and Infamous are coming out next month. Now, 
people are going crazy over Titanfall, like you said yourself. What if it's not a good game? Yep. Titanfall is a brand new IP. Yep. It's an online only game, which means if I wake up at three in the morning and I want to play Titanfall, I can't play with my friends because they're fucking sleeping. And I got to play with a bunch of people I don't know, which a lot of times I don't feel like doing. Right. But Infamous is granted that they're going with a brand new character, a new storyline, but it's an established franchise. Right. And it's, it's a new story within that franchise. So you have basically you have that's like guaranteed money because the people who like Infamous one and two, unless they don't own a PS4, they're going to get second. Son. That's what I'm saying. But when you look at it, think about this too. It's like each of these systems has games coming out and everybody's reacting to, you know, demos and trailers and all this stuff. But you got to think about Remember when everybody was high on the God uh, on the uh, Gears of War franchise, and then the company put out Bulletstorm, and everybody thought that game was bullshit. And that's what I'm and that's what I'm saying. Like you could ride the hype train for so long. It's the same thing when 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 we watch movies. Say you're a fan of a of a certain director, whether it's Martin Scorsese or or you know James Cameron. Even those guys have duds. You know what I mean? Like they can have twenty five great movies. Sorry, huh? What was that? <laughs> you said something in my throat, some giant blue smurfs or something. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. You know, when you when you think about that, you 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 you're like, yeah, I'm a fan of this director or I'm a fan of this actor. But you can't say, hey, that guy that guy's done every role he's been in has been awesome. You know, like like people like no, people can't. do. People do that and and they do these blanket statements when it comes to gaming and you forget that yeah Sony the the PlayStation 4 is a great system but you got to remember that they're atoning for every fuck up they did on the PlayStation 3 People forget that Agreed. Like, which you, is what I which is what I said in the first place yep. and it seems like Microsoft started out doing everything wrong and then he started backpedaling which right you know that, that's not the way to start exactly each each system each system upon launch had their own outlook sony was looking to redeem itself afterwards microsoft was looking to 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 create a brand new identity they wanted to go beyond just gaming and become an entertainment console and that's fine but the problem with all this it boils down to what I've said before games price and just accessibility. Everybody talks about the graphics. We talked about this last week, you know, graphics, this graphics, that graphics, this graphics, that what we were playing in the eighties as kids was dog shit compared to today. But you know what made us keep playing the enjoyment of these games? Thank you. And that's and that's what that's where we we're starting to lose sight because everybody's like, oh, well, you know, the graphics and this and that. It's like, I understand you basically bought the equivalent of, of a desktop PC to a degree before the PC gamers jump on my ass. Um, you know, you bought you bought basically a, a small computer that's going to give you a, amazing visuals and great and, you know, gr a great experience. But what is that going to matter in the grand scheme of things, 
if you can enjoy the games. Like that's what like like here's here's a here's a here's a good here's a good example. Sonic the Hedgehog. Son they announced a brand new game which is called Sonic Boom, and it's gonna have an animated series and all this tie-in stuff. So people complained because Sonic wears a Nathan Drake scarf. And he has tape on his hands. He has fighter tape. And that they changed Knuckles from being like Sonic to being like this giant goon. Whatever the case is, people are complaining about the visual aspects without even playing the game. And they lose sight of the fact that the simple concept is you run, you jump, you collect rings, and you don't let the bad guys hit you to lose said rings. You get what I'm saying? Like, people try to make this more than what it is. It's like Mario. People complain about Mario. It's like you run, you jump, you get different things that turn you into different things, and you step on things. That's it. That Mario is pretty much the life of a toddler in, in video game form. People, people lose sight of that. Yeah, you know, people lose sight of that. They want, they want all these, these beautiful graphics, and it's like, that's well and good. But if you don't enjoy the game, what are you going to do, stare at it for three hours? Like, think about it. Like, wow, I, this is pretty. Yeah, like, dude, I, I, look at it for a while. I invested X amount of hours into Assassin's Creed 4. Graphically, a beautiful game, dude. Beautiful. You know, you could go whale hunting and, and shark hunting, and, and you could do all this cool shit. And it's, it's, it was awesome. You, you had this whole huge world to, to, to explore, but the story fell flat. Why? Because I'm a fan of story. Me personally, graphically, if anybody said, yo, what'd you think of the graphics? You know, I, I was awesome. You know, oh, what'd you think of the, uh, of the gameplay? Oh, I was good. The story sucked. Same thing with Gears of War. Gears of War is a paint by number shooter. Any way, any way you slice it. But Gears of War had an engaging story. That's why I enjoyed the series. Same thing with Infamous. You like Infamous, but what keeps you hooked on Infamous? The story. There you go. Here, here's a good example. Darksiders, a brand new IP. What kept us engaged with that IP? The story. There you go. And this is what people... That's why we wanted to play the second part, because of the way the first one ended. There you go. And people people forget this. People are too hung up on graphics. People are too hung up on graphics and hardware. You know why Nintendo makes so much money with the DS? Yeah, the graphics on the DS are good, but it's about the games. It's the games that sell people. If you can't sell me with your game and you have to wow me with graphics, you're clearly doing it wrong. You're using it as a crutch. True, which I can definitely say that... Um, Microsoft is doing a that a lot. You know, Microsoft's been been definitely um, guilty of that. So has Sony in some places. But um, Sony, I can say at least, they they've made sure for the most part that their their people that make their first person titles really work on the story. Yep. Companies like Naughty Dog and Sucker Punch put a lot into their stories. You take games like The Last of Us and Infamous and you know, yeah, it's gameplay, but it's all story. Right. And that's it's what I'm like saying. The Last of Us, people, a lot of people complain that, like, you know, it's it's not 
a lot, a whole lot of action. It's basically hiding and stuff, which is true, which under the circumstances I can understand, but the story is really engaging. That that's exactly it. And that's what keeps people in that's what keeps people in the loop. That's what keeps people hooked up. That's what keeps people engaged. But the problem is that there's such a there's so much of of a demand to be visibly wowed that people are just like, yeah, you know, I need this. I need this. And it's like, no, I understand. You know, I understand you want to be you want your 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 eyes to fall to burn out of their heads when you watch this. I, I respect that and I understand that. But the the thing that boggles my mind is just the fact that people they don't really seem to respect what the games are about from the onset in the sense that they don't respect uh they don't respect where where gaming is coming from you know which and honestly as, as much as i have my complaints you know I, of course i love it i just cuz of the way you know people in general are idiots that that's what the success of grand theft auto 5 is because i've said it before it's like it's essentially two games right but the, the main game, you have a really, really well-done story. And them employing three main characters that you, that you can switch between, it, it just worked. Right. But, you know, you have this, this well-done story. And then when, you know, you either you want to get away from the story for a while or you're finished with the game or whatever, you go online and you just have some mindless, insane fun. Of course. And you go back. They literally could have sold them Grand Theft Auto 5 and Grand Theft Auto Online as two separate games. Right. Thankfully they didn't, but they, they could have. And that's what I'm saying. These are so these are those things where there's there's a different layer of storytelling that applies to everybody. Everybody has a different thing that makes them that makes them love what they what they like about a game whether it's the engaging story or whatever but at the end of the day it's it's the it's you know it's a sum of all parts it's the sum of gameplay graphics and enjoyment and if one if one is lacking it will affect the other with and the only one that's really the non-factor is graphics because you don't need to be to have super pretty graphics to enjoy every game it it doesn't hurt but it's it's not a it's not a you know, it's not a, a mandatory thing. That's all I'm saying. Sorry, I was no. arguing with, with some Val. With Val, Val. I see. I, no, I, it, it's true. I mean, you know, uh, I, I just I just think that there's more there's more to it. You know, there's more to the science. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's like it's like making food. You don't you don't use the right ingredients, you don't get a good product. No, sir. Anything else you, you want to have one without the other? You can't just have graphics. You can't nope. just have. I mean, technically, you could have story, but if you don't have good gameplay, it doesn't matter if you have good graphics. It's You're like right. The one, the one item that you can get away with really is graphics. Because if you don't have good gameplay, you don't have good story. You don't have a good game. I agree, one hundred and ten percent. Lower quality graphics purposely. And just focus on story and gameplay, and you have a good game. No, it's true. Well, like I said, that's you know the preliminary MPD numbers are are an interesting thing, but it's one of those things where we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see now from from March on 
who the real leader is. Because each each company has has shit up there, up, you know, up their sleeve that's going to to change their their status amongst gamers. You know, Xbox and Microsoft's gonna come out with 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 Titanfall. Um, you know, Sony's gonna have Infamous and a couple of other titles. Nintendo has Mario Kart, Donkey Kong, you know, the stable of, of their guys. So each each company is looking to really make a statement. In Nintendo's case, I just hope that their statement puts them back up into the third tier, you know? On the gaming end, I think like this. I, I'm saying I think, at least this is for 2014, based upon what I know. Right. Sony's going to hold the top spot simply because, you know, in terms of games, they have more of their own coming out. Okay. The other games are going to be available on all the, you know, either Xbox One and PlayStation 4 or on everything. Right. The um, Nintendo is, you know, still going to be in last place, but they are going to pick up because they have good games coming out throughout the year. And they are doing this thing with indie games. I I read an article the other day. I don't know all the details, but like they literally have a ton of games coming out, and they don't look like shovelware. Will everybody buy them? No, but they have decent games coming out. Not all of which are like big name titles, but they'll you know they're worth checking out. Absolutely. Well, these are and all th- that the fact that they're going to be working with indie developers is, like you said, in the in the long run, it's going to benefit the you know us as gamers because these people that might never have had their games see the light of day are going to get their chance, and you know you might see the next Mario or the next Halo or the next whatever come out of something like that. So I agree. That Nintendo's doing that. No, I agree a hundred percent. It's definitely gonna be something worth um worth keeping an eye on for sure. Anything else you wanted to add, my friend? Um as much as I shit on it, I'm kinda glad that Call of Duty will be going into that whole three year cycle thing. Yep, I agree. Hopefully I would like to see, you know, if they did like a poll and see like whether people like uh, no, never mind. That, that doesn't make sense because I know what the answer would be. If they say whether people prefer the campaign or the online, all the Call of Duty fans would say the online. Absolutely, dude. I just don't understand how... I personally don't understand how you can consistently play the same thing over and over and over. <laughs> it's like, I play Grand Theft Auto online probably every day right now. Right. And my... Honestly, I play it. It's, it's fun sometimes, but my least favorite mode is deathmatch because it's repetitive and it is blowing really quick to me. And this is what the online of these, these squad based shooters is. It's deathmatch over and over. Like, how do you not get bored with that? Everybody I understand that people don't get bored with it, but I don't see how. Right. Oh, you know, every, everybody has different strokes for different folks. And that's the reason to me why Grand Theft Auto Online is so good because if you don't want to play Death Patch, you can play one of the others. Like a whole shitload of different modes, plus you can play regular missions. Right. Or you can just run around and do stupid shit. You can't do that in a Call of Duty or a Battlefield. 
True. I'll give you that. Well, I, I, I don't. I literally don't get it, and I'm glad that they're going to take that time because let people really get, you know, enthusiastic about the next one and not say, oh, this will be another one out next year. Right. Oh, it makes sense. I, I understand where you're coming from completely. And they definitely got to do that with music speaking because the 2012 version was okay. The 2013 version is dog shit. Yeah, well, that, uh, that's a, that, that, the need for speed issue is something completely different. Yeah, but it's the same basic thing as Call of Duty. They, they literally have had one come out every year for over the past 10 years. No, you're right. But, you know, it's like anything else. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah, whatever. There you go. I'm good, man. All right, my dude. Thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Peace. Peace. Oh, Slick Slick makes a, a, a very impassioned but very legitimate observation with regards to that. But like I said, we are, we're, we're in an age where people are starting to segregate their gameplay based on their needs and their wants. Like me personally, I like a solid single player campaign and a good story. That's it. Others need awesome multiplayer and they can let a single player campaign slide. Like I said, different strokes for different folks. Anyway, let's get out of gaming. That's actually going to wrap it up for this week and get into this week's entertainment news. Um, once again, it is, uh, it's actually one, almost 1.30 Eastern Standard Time here in New York City. Uh, the Blog Talk Radio feed goes off air at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But you can continue listening at mtrlive.com and gfqlive.tv. Anyway, let's talk some entertainment news. So I haven't talked about Jason Statham in a while and I want to get into that because he's jumping back into a franchise that I really didn't think he needed to be involved in. But before I get into that, I'm sure most of you Walking Dead fans are going to wonder what's up with my kick-ass Walking Dead shirt. That's actually uh, one of the many shirts that you can get from our friends at Ripped Apparel, R-I-P-T, apparel.com. Uh, you can check out their ads on the site. And, of course, you can visit them at RipTheParrel.com. Pick up this and any other pop culture T-shirts. Uh, they put out a new T-shirt every day, available for 24 hours. Afterwards, that's it. Some shirts have been re-released via other, uh, you know, T-shirt purveyors, but Rip the Parrel prides itself on doing it. One T-shirt a day, every day. So, again, they're 10 bucks, available in multiple sizes. And uh, this one is one of my favorites with The Walking Dead which is back on air. I'm sure you guys watched it Sunday. So if you want to pick this up, which may get re-released or any of the other pop culture tees, make sure to check out our friends at ripthepower.com. Anyway, back into the entertainment news. As I said, Jason Statham is jumping into a franchise that I really thought wasn't a franchise that required a sequel. Now, we all know Jason Statham is uh, pretty much a mainstay with the Transporter series. First thing I got to say is that the Transporter series will be getting a reboot. I'll be talking about that later in the segment. But 
What they're going to be doing, get this, is he's going to be returning for a sequel to The Mechanic. Now, if you remember the film The Mechanic, that was a film that was a remake of a Charles Bronson movie uh, with uh, Jason Statham playing the role of The Mechanic in that film. In The Mechanic remake, um, you know, Jason Statham will be reprising his role and, um, you know, as Arthur Bishop. But the thing was, the first film, which was directed by Simon West, co-starred Ben Foster, um, right now, obviously, they don't know if any of the original cast is going to return, which I doubt, because if you saw the film, you know what happened to Ben Foster's character. But I will say that the original film earned $29 million uh, domestically, took in $51 million worldwide. It had a budget of $41 million, so it was fairly profitable. But I will say that the mechanic was a good enough film that didn't warrant a sequel. You know, it's not like The Transporter. It's not like any of these other one-off Jason Statham action films. The Mechanic was a remake through and through, but it looks like they're going to try and, and extend its shelf life by giving it a sequel. Some people may agree. Some people may disagree. Me personally, I see these films as, you know, a 90-minute escape. Jason Statham movies are not Oscar caliber in the least, but they always have solid fight choreography and a halfway decent plot. So take that for what it's worth. Of course, it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel news. Uh, Latino Review was reporting that Miss Marvel may be appearing in the Avengers Age of Ultron film. Of course, that's not a shocker in the least. Of course, Paul Bettany was announced as being cast for the Vision. Um, and he joins, obviously, the previous cast of the Avengers, plus Scarlet Witch uh, being played by Elizabeth Olsen and um, Quicksilver being played by Kick-Ass by Aaron Taylor Johnson. Now, originally, there was a rumor saying that Katie Sackhoff wanted to play Captain Marvel. Whether that pans out or not remains to be seen, but we may actually see Captain Marvel or Miss Marvel, depending on which version you're looking at, in the Avengers universe. So, me personally, I think that you have a pretty stellar cast already. While I do like the character of Miss Marvel slash Captain Marvel, I do think that it's going to be too much too soon. You can actually use the Captain Marvel character in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies just because, you know, that her, her character has been involved in a lot of those bigger space storylines versus a lot of the work on the Avengers. But again, take it with a grain of salt. This comes courtesy of Latino Review, which, you know, I love those guys. Those guys have a pretty decent track record. But when it comes to Marvel news, sometimes they've been very, very good as of late. So again, uh, grain of salt with Miss Marvel appearing in the Avengers Age of Ultron. In some other sequel news, Will Smith will not be returning to Independence Day 2. According to Deadline, Roland Emmerich is moving forward with the project without Smith, who informed 20th Century Fox that he is passing on the film. Uh, right now, the plan is for Independence Day 2 to hit theaters July 1st, 2016. A uh, couple of things I got to say. The first Independence Day movie was enjoyable, but I will tell you, it ages terribly. Have any of you guys in the chat seen Independence Day recently, like within the last year or two? And when you watch it, you just realize how campy and shitty it really is. Like there are certain movies that they age very well and you can watch them all the time and you really don't feel, oh, this movie's shit. Independence Day, <clears throat> you know, I was working in, in the movie theaters when that movie came out. And it's like, you, you, I remember that movie had a line from the box office of the movie theater wrapped around 
um, a Kmart that's close by. I'd want to say that the line was three blocks long. The theater was always packed. It was wall to wall people. First showing was like 9 a.m. or 8 a.m., depending on which theater people went to. And this was all day, all day, all day. And, and you know what it was at that time? I was like, wow, Independence Day is so awesome. It's like, yeah, feel good, America. Now you watch it and you're just like, ah, this movie's so. It, you get a lot of douche chills with some of the acting, you know? But again, not to say that it doesn't have a place, but I just feel that it didn't really warrant a second film. Like, what are you going to do? The aliens are going to come back and try to invade again? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's very academic. It's really. There's not much plot you can delve into afterwards unless you want to do something really, really crazy where we take the fights to the aliens or some crazy shit. So I think to a degree, I think Will Smith probably saw the writing on the wall and he said to himself, fuck, you know, there's there's no there's nothing else to go by after this movie. You know what I mean? And it's true. Suncast, you're right. Why so many? Why so many years later? It's true. You know, Independence Day, when it came out, was. I, I got to say at least 14 years, if I'm right. I don't remember. I don't remember the year offhand. I know I was working when that movie came out, but that's what I'm saying. Val says, cause they couldn't come up with a script and it's true. I mean, as of right now, Emmerich said that there are two scripts, one, which includes Smith character, Smith's character and one that does not. When you boil it down to brass tacks, independence, Day does not warrant that type of a, that type of a sequel. You, you know, Slick makes a valid observation. RoboCop is a bad movie, you know, depending on who you ask. RoboCop is a bad movie, but it's a cult classic. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Independence Day was good during that time frame, and it just doesn't age well. That's all I'm saying. That Val makes a valid point. RoboCop aged like Escape from New York. You know, that's pretty much it. Anyway. On some small screen news, we got a ton of casting going on for Fox's new Gotham TV series. Uh, Ben McKenzie from Southland will be playing the young Jim Gordon in the new series. It's funny because McKenzie has a, a is it has been involved with Batman. If you uh, watch Batman Year One, uh, Ben McKenzie was the voice of Batman in Batman Year One. Also, uh, Danny Cannon, who did Judge Dredd, will be directing the pilot. And there's also been some casting for a couple of other notable characters that you may know. Uh, Robin Lord Taylor from Accepted will be portraying Oswald Cobblepot, who we all know is the Penguin. And uh, Sean per- uh, Pertwee, who was in Alan Partridge and Event Horizon, will be playing Alfred Pennyworth. Also, uh, Sabrina Guevara from Burn Notice will be playing Captain Essen, uh, which is, of course, James Gordon's uh, boss at GCPD. And Aaron Richards from Being Human and Merlin will be uh, portraying Barbara Keene, uh, which is Jim Gordon's fiance. So there's definitely, um, you know, there's definitely a lot of great casting going on. I think the Gotham series has tremendous potential. I think the problem with it is that people are going to jump in with the expectation that it's going to be Batman immediately. And that's not the case. On the contrary, the show's going to follow Bruce Wayne before he became Batman and fo- and focus more on Jim Gordon. There'll probably be a little bit more of a superhero procedural. You're going to see, of course, the Riddler, the Penguin before they became those iconic characters. And I think that's going to add a different level of storytelling to the series. If you've watched Arrow on the CW, you'd understand when they use so many of the characters that we know, including, you know, characters like Bronze Tiger, 
Deadshot, uh, even Deathstroke, in the sense that you watch these characters develop and you look at them differently. I think Gotham is going to be interesting in that approach. I think that the, if they do it right and they they don't suffer the same issues that S.H.I.E.L.D. did, uh, people will definitely dig it. And I know a couple of people are going to be like, oh, you know, what the fuck would, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D., why are you shitting on, on the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series? The S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series pretty much lives and thrives on name dropping. Name drop Captain America in one scene, name drop Thor, name drop Asgard. And that's that's fine. But eventually you're going to have to get out of that comfort zone and start creating your own villains, your own rogues, your own level of storytelling to move it forward. And that's what's happening. And, and Suncast, Suncast says S.H.I.E.L.D. is cheap and petty compared to Arrow. To a degree, I have to, I, 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 I agree with you because, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D., they go out there and, and you know, you have Coulson, who is great, but I feel that Coulson's cast you know, like like uh, like the computer hacker Sky. She's she's a cool character. I think Agent May has a lot of great storytelling. But I do feel that the other the other characters like Agent Ward and Fitz and Simmons, you know, they, they try too hard to either be comic relief or they try too hard to 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 branch out and be badasses. Like yeah, exactly. Ward, the character of Agent Ward is the fucking worst. He is probably one of the most boring characters. Agent Ward is the equivalent of Michael Weston from Burn Notice joining S.H.I.E.L.D. and losing his personality. That is Agent Ward. He is a fucking, he is a wet paper bag on that show. And and I applaud what they're doing. You know, you're seeing uh, Lady Sif is going to be showing up. You have uh, Deathlock. Deathlock showed up last week, which was kind of cool. Um, but it, it's true. Ming-Na Wen does kick ass as Agent May, Suncast. I agree 100%. And you know what I like? That her story is so... It, it, there's no backstory for her, which allows you to really give a lot of leeway to what her backstory is. In other words, you have this chick. They don't really talk about her past a lot, but she kicks a lot of ass. And, you know, she doesn't get into any physical situations if she can avoid it because she's just a, a dangerous human being. Like, I like that. But when you look at Fitz and Simmons and Agent Ward, there's just there's nothing there. They I feel like there's filler it, versus when you look at, you know, like Agent Coulson, Agent Coulson's character, while it's a great character, in my opinion, wasn't enough of a character to carry the show. I kind of felt that they should have tossed, uh, you know, Sam Jackson some more money so we can see Nick Fury on the series more often. Like, I like that they're, you know, they throw, you know, Victoria Hand in there. And I like that they, you know, they throw all these little things, but it's, it's not, it's not picking up the way it should be. And a lot of people, they go out of their way to defend the series. Oh, well, S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, it's a slow burn. You got to give it time. You got to, if you look at at the CW and you watch Arrow, Arrow started off very, very slowly. That first season of Arrow uh, left a lot to be desired, but it was also because they were fleshing out a lot of the story. They were really trying to to give uh, the audience a lot of a, a lot in one shot. In other words, you had to get Arrow's backstory. You had to get all these characters, and you had to introduce them in such a way that people can empathize with them. Like this, Shield took established characters that have already existed and tried to make them better than what they were 
I agree. Suncast says the first season of Arrow had way more potential than Shield. It did, but you know what the problem was? Arrow had a lot more of an uphill climb because in Arrow's case, you had to establish a brand new universe. Shield basically was funded by a Marvel kickstand. That's all it was. Like, like they just said, "All right, we're gonna grab the guy who has the pe- the cheapest paycheck from the Avengers, and we're gonna do a show about this guy." Like that's what it was. Like, like in Arrow's case, Arrow had a harder battle because you had to create a whole universe and introduce everybody to these obscure DC characters. In Shield's case, it's like they're handing you the keys to the kingdom, and you're not going for it. Like you're using you know, X guy and why do you, you know, do you think that by mentioning aim once an episode or captain America, uh, every, every third sentence, you're going to succeed on, on that merit alone. We need to see those third characters, those third tier guys, you know, guys like the wrecking crew. You could use guys like the wrecking crew. You could use guys like hydro man that nobody really talks about. You could use, um, you know, characters like the absorbing man. You can use, like things like that. Yep. Why not throw in Wonder Man? And that's what I'm saying. See, Suncash, you bring up Green Arrow in Smallville, but the problem was that Arrow in Smallville was a complete departure from from Arrow in in the standalone series. While I do understand that he was somewhat established, when people walked into Arrow, nobody knew anything about Black Canary, or nobody knew anything about uh, Bronze Tiger or Malcolm Merlin, or the League of Assassins, you know, until they started noticing those references. So, you know, that that was different. Like, Arrow is is dark, and it's doing the storytelling and borrowing elements from the comics that don't seem forced. Like, S.H.I.E.L.D. is kind of like grasping at straws. They're like, oh, let's throw Deathlock in there. Let's throw Extremis in there. Oh, let's throw Asgard in there. But it's really not moving the way it should. It's 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 weird, but as I was saying, in in the Gotham case, Gotham has the potential to become a hit very easily if they can rely on Jim Gordon's stories being a driving factor. You can sprinkle in a little bit of Batman, but not too much. That's what I'm saying because people are going to expect it to be about Batman, and you have to remove that immediately. You have to pull that rug out immediately if you want it to be successful all right let's talk box office totals of course it should come as a shocker to nobody that the lego movie was number one earning 69 million dollars pretty much thrashing everybody at the box office the monuments men was number two which i'm hearing a lot of good things ride along continues to stay in the top 10 at the number three spot earning 9.4 million dollars bringing its grand total to 105.2 million dollars frozen was at number four that Awkward Moment was number five. Lone Survivor was six. Vampire Academy was seven. Wow. Earning $4.1 million. Uh, the Nut Job was eight. Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit was nine, which is pretty much a dud because its $3.6 million haul brought up its, <clears throat> excuse me, brought up its grand total to $44.5 million. Labor Day earned $3.2 million in the number 10 slot. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely very interesting for the for the box office. Slick just told me that RoboCop only made two million on Wednesday on a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, 
Well, you know, one of the other things that's hurting RoboCop, this shitty weather here, at least on the East Coast. But I agree. Two million dollars on a hundred million dollar budget. Not a good way to go. As I mentioned earlier in the in the in the broadcast, um, you know, we are getting that brand new reboot of the transporter. Um, Ed Scrain, who was in Game of Thrones, he played uh, Dario Naharis, will be uh, using the role, will be reprising the role of Frank Martin in the reboot of the transporter. So they look to begin filming a brand new transporter ser- uh, movie starting in June. Uh, the film is running on a low budget and. Um, you know, it's pretty much going to follow the early adventures of Frank Martin, who transports goods and asks no questions. So it's going to be very interesting to see how how effectively they can reboot it. And if, you know, Ed Scrain can carry the Jason Statham movie series on his own. Again, you're rebooting a series that's not very old. Excuse me. I'm not feeling very positive, but again, we'll see what happens. Warner Brothers dropped the release date for Tarzan, which is going to have Alexander Skarsgård as Tarzan. Uh, he'll be joined by Samuel L. Jackson, Margot Robbie, and Christoph Waltz. That film will be hitting theaters July 1st, 2016. Uh, that will put it in competition with Angry Birds the Movie and Independence Day 2. So there you have it. Tarzan returning to the silver screen in July 2016. In some other small screen news, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the Flash TV series. Um, <laughs> oh, props to Suncast. Suncast says, I thought that was Lawrence Fishburne in Tarzan. Bravo, sir. Slow clap. <laughs> For those of you that don't know the reference, Samuel L. Jackson eviscerated a reporter on air recently uh, due to the reporter confusing him with Lawrence Fishburne during an interview for RoboCop. So uh, props to Suncast for throwing that out there. Um, the I wanted to talk about the Flash TV series uh, because they actually cast John Wesley Shipp in a role that has, for the time being, been kept secret. Um, of course, for those of you that grew up in the 80s and throughout the 90s, you probably watched the original Flash TV series with John Wesley Shipp. That was during the 90s. Um, the, it was, it was a, it was a good series. It wasn't a, obviously on the level that TV series are now, but John Wesley ship was the original flash in the 1990 series. For those of you that didn't watch that series, you may recognize John Wesley ship as the father of Dawson Leary in Dawson's Creek. So pick, pick your poison ladies and gents, but it's pretty cool that they are, they are casting John Wesley ship in the new flash series. His role right now is a secret. Some people are saying he's going to play the father of Barry Allen, which would be kind of cool. Other people are saying that he's going to play Professor Zoom, a.k.a. Reverse Flash. Other people are saying that he may play Jay Garrick. So it, it, it's definitely going to be very cool. Val says he's going to be the original Flash. I'd like that to be the case. Either way, right now, the role is being kept under wraps, but it's going to be very, very cool to see that if they're going to go with, with in that direction. But... Uh, Grant Gustin right now is playing Barry Allen. Uh, Candace Patton is playing Iris West. Jesse L. Martin is going to be playing Iris West's father, Detective West. And a couple of interesting ones. Uh, Rick Gosnett is going to be playing Eddie Thawne. And um, Danielle Panabaker will be playing Star Labs bioengineer Caitlin Snow, who goes on to become Killer Frost. So 
Again, very interesting where they're going with the Flash TV series. Of course, it's being created by the crew from Arrow um, with Jeff Johns being involved as well. And the um, and David Nutter, who did the pilot for Arrow, will be directing the pilot for the Flash TV series. So definitely some stellar casting. I got to give credit where credit is due to DC for really trying to make their mark on the small screen as to as to how they're going to fare on the big screen. We shall see, but I think they're going in the right direction, kind of uh, establishing these universes on the small screen. I can only hope that these characters are easily uh, transitioned to the big screen. In other words, if we get a Justice League movie, I think it would be fair that the guy that plays Arrow on the TV series should play Arrow in the movie. Just just, just to keep with continuity, uh, same thing with The Flash. I think that it's... Um, you know, we're going to go that route as well. Uh, Suncast is asking me to talk about King of the Nerds. Um, I actually watched one or two episodes at his recommendation. I haven't started watching and watching it consistently, but um, I, I, I have uh, uh, mixed feelings about it so far. So give me some time, Suncast, to, to watch a couple more episodes and I will um, <laughs> I will definitely discuss it at length. Anyway, with that bit of news I am actually going to wrap up this week's show. I did want to close out by actually saying one particular thing. Um, First off, make sure to check out Slick's review of RoboCop on MyTakeRadio.com. I also got to tell you guys to keep an eye out for all our social media outlets for Toy Fair coverage starting Sunday the 16th through the 19th. Um, We're going to be there in person the 16th and the 17th. So any of my fellow broadcasting colleagues that will be covering Toy Fair, make sure to look for us on the show floor. Uh, Right now, our goal is to get access to the brand new Transformers 4 Age of Extinction toys. Um, Also, we're hoping to see um, a couple of toys from the new Godzilla and hopefully whatever new offerings Marvel as well as, um, you know, obviously WWE are going to have at Toy Fair. So definitely keep an eye out. We're going to try and put up as many photos and videos as we can throughout the next couple of days during our coverage of Toy Fair. But as always, make sure to follow us for all the news. Anyway, with that said, uh, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of My Take Radio, episode 215 uh, for Thursday. uh, Well, now Friday, February 14th, um, Thursday, February 13th. Uh, Happy Valentine's Day for those of you that have uh, your significant others. And um, yeah, on behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Quark, Blade, and the rest of the MTR family, I will catch you guys next week. Let's get the hell out of here, folks. Uh, Don't know what outro music we're going to go with, uh, but I figured... eh, I know a lot of you guys like our OC Remix stuff, and we may go with that, possibly. We shall see. Uh, Oh, how can I forget? Before we play any outro music, of course... If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, make sure to email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're interested in advertising with us on air or on the site, you can email me at that address as well. Uh, with regards to social media, you can find My Take Radio on Facebook, uh, add us on Twitter at My Take Radio, become a fan on Google Plus, add us to your circles there. You can follow our boards on Pinterest. And last but not least, of course, you can also follow me on Instagram, MyTakeRadio underscore Rich. If you want the complete MTR experience, you can get the MyTakeRadio app for $1.99 available for Android devices via the Amazon Android store. 
uh, for iOS devices on iTunes, and of course for Windows 8 and Windows Mobile from the Windows Marketplace. This gives you access to 96K episodes of MTR, plus exclusive content, mobile wallpapers, and a ton of other extras. Like I said, it's $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee. And uh, pick it up if you want that. Otherwise, you can get archives on MyTakeRadio.com, the GFQ Network, also Blog Talk Radio, Mixler, and usually through your other outlets. We'll see what the deal is uh, with regards to any other Toy Fair content that we do. But until then, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thank you all for tuning in. That's it. I'm out. All right. Now, with regards to outro music, we're going to go with, uh, since we were talking a little bit about Super Mario Brothers, I think we're going to go out with uh, Super Mario Brothers Pipes Remix by 7th Epic, available at OC Remix. Dot org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org.